and welcome to the Anti-Podcast. This is your host, Kevin Kelly. What's up, guys? It is... What is today? It is the 17th of November, a murky, gray day outside, and uh, just decided to push this podcast out with my good friend, Matt Murphy, the 12th podcast so far from the Anti-Podcast, the 12th episode, I should say. Um, what's been going on? I turned another year older last Sunday, up to 37 years now. Uh, that's always a treat, right? Turn another year older. Everybody knows it. <laughs> I didn't really do too much. Went to a park, went on a hike, met up with some friends at Civil Life Brewery, had some soup and beer. It was a great time. It was pretty cool. Uh, it was just nice to keep it pretty chill. Every five years or so, I do a kind of a big blowout, shoot off some fireworks, get a bounce house, you know, cool stuff. And uh, this year, I just decided to keep it, you know, 37 is not exactly a landmark year. So I just decided to uh, have it with some good friends of mine and keep it rather low key. Uh, aside from that, saw Wilco this week, one of my favorite bands, also a local success story. Jeff Tweedy hailing from Belleville, Illinois. If you haven't read his autobiography, and if you're a musician or at all musically inclined, I think it's a great book. I read it last year, and it had some some really fun lines in it, and, and some good trivia about St. Louis as well, um, and and performing here, and having performed in a band myself, and having had the the mini miracle of being able to perform on the landing in the summer. Uh, I just really connected with it and what he has to say. And the band killed it. I believe it was their 25th appearance um, at in St. Louis, which sounds like an awful lot, but it makes sense if you think back when they were just getting their legs, uh, you know, their sea legs, their tour legs going, that they would play over here quite a bit. But it was incredible. It was at the Fox Theater. And um, it was uh, just, you know, everything I would hope it would be. I'd seen them prior at Lollapalooza a long time ago, and then also at Loufest. Um, and I was really wanting to see them in a auditorium-like scenario. And I saw him either earlier this year or about a year ago uh, at the pageant, and that was just an incredible show. Just him and a guitar and stories. So to see them at the Fox with the full band and everything set up, and, and to see them a little more seasoned than when I'd seen them prior... For two and a half hours, they killed it. And they had this local band, the Bottle Rockets, open up for them, who almost found national success, or who did find some, you know, some national success, but haven't really uh, taken off in the same fashion that Wilco has. So it's a pretty interesting story. You should check them out. Very alt country, if that's your kind of thing. Good stuff, though, all around. Um, what else is going on? Uh, holidays are coming up. Really gearing up for that with Snakebite. Uh, orders are picking up crazy. A lot of wholesale, a lot of custom orders. Just get a, a bunch of random companies and and breweries and things of that nature hit me up. It seemed like all at once this week. I had to make the largest leather purchase ever in running the company. I had to buy 12 sides of leather. That is basically one half of a cow's leather. Um, so 12 sides would be the leather from six cows, kind of morbid when you think about it. They come in the shape of the cow. 
from like a profile approach. And um, it really gives you a good idea of leather being an animal product when you receive them. Because you kind of get like stretch mark areas around the groin. And, you know, you see the brand in the cow from where it was branded. So it's, uh, yeah, it's always... It's always kind of interesting, you know, it puts things in perspective. There's a difference between receiving a leather-wrapped book versus getting a whole hide of leather and realizing that this was, in fact, an animal at some point. Kind of morbid, but, you know, there is a lot of things that we do every day that we don't think about that are morbid. And, uh, man, you could just go down the street to any fast food and try and trace back the line from that chicken nugget and I guarantee you will be depressed. So I, uh, I like to think that we're, you know, the, I, I don't know where these cows come from. Maybe I should look into that. I know they're from America. They're American cows. We work with an American tannery. Uh, but in terms of having my whole Portlandia story worked out for each of these cows, I, I haven't gotten that far along. Maybe I should think about that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, holidays are coming up. Thanksgiving. I was going out of town. Not sure if that's going to happen. Everything's just kind of chaotic. But, you know, tis the season, I guess. Um, Matt Murphy, he is the man. We've been friends for almost 20 years. He is a fascinating character. He's worked extremely hard ever since I've known him at the young age of 16 or 17. We worked together in uh, the religious industry back in the day. And uh, we just kind of kept in touch because I could tell that he he was kind of plugged in in a weird way that I thought I was also plugged in in terms of just getting shit done really quickly and really well and turning things around faster than most people, or at least it seemed that way. Uh, he's always had a very high work ethic, and he is infamous for doing all-nighters and getting projects done that should take a week done in a night. I don't necessarily recommend that as a livelihood, but... He has uh, he has done really well with it, and he's got a beautiful little family, uh, and he, he, he works all over the place, all over the world, in fact. One of his bigger clients is Tony Robbins, the motivational speaker. We talk about good motivational speakers versus what I consider bad ones. Um, we talk about multi-level marketing and how it can be annoying. <laughs> uh, we talk about developing a pilot for a reality show, getting into how time is our most valuable currency, and then a lot of travel stories as well. Uh, it's pretty interesting. A lot of things to pick up on this one. So without further ado, let me introduce you to my good friend, Matthew Murphy. Mr. Pig in the house. <laughs> How's it going, dude? We're going with Pig. Well, I don't know. I mean, that's one of my favorite nicknames for you. <laughs> Where did that come from? Thanks, Chad Harris. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Our, our great friend Chad Harris. What um, I forget where the name Pig specifically. So my wife loves fat. this nickname, by the way. It's <laughs> uh, Maddie the Pig. Maddie the Pig. I um, am now under two hundred pounds. At one point, I wasn't. Uh, I was quite a bit over. But in my younger days, I was extremely under. I was scrawny, mm-hmm. buck fifty max. Yes, probably at that time a buck twenty. And uh, I think Chad thought it'd be funny to, to give call you the Pig pigs because pigs should be fat, but I'm not. And to give me some Italian mob nickname. So Maddie the pig, like Tony the knuckles or something. So <laughs> Tony the tiger. It's stuck. And then, yeah, 
it's still my Apple ID. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's your password? <laughs> <laughs> so I am, uh, I'm pumped that we're getting this in. You travel yes. quite a bit. We've yes. been friends forever. It seems like at least shit. Uh, how old am I? At least I figure 18 years. It'd have to be 97, 98. Is that right? Yeah. I feel like it was. Oh, and did we play soccer together too? No, it might have been. It was pre 2000 for okay. sure. Yes. Because it was before I got into high school. Yeah. I, yeah. So somewhere in that junior high. Did you play soccer? I mean, yeah, a lot of soccer, but I don't know if I played with you. Okay. I played on you didn't play with two Hill. teams. No. All right. Um, so anyways, it goes way back and then we worked together. Uh, we ended yeah. up working together uh, unbeknownst, not really unbeknownst, but we both ended up working at the ministry, doing the ministry life. Yeah. Is that what we call it on this podcast? I call it the ministry. Okay. I, I haven't gotten into specific details, but I'm not shy no. from talking about that. I mean, you, got, you and Boston talked about it a little bit. Didn't you? A little bit. Yeah. I think he was maybe more shy about talking gotcha. about it. And then... By the way, am I one of the first people that listen to your podcast that's on your podcast? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think, no, Blaine and Franco have listened to oh, it. Okay, so cool. No, yeah, you're good. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know what you were going to say. Uh, <laughs> but no, Josh, um, also a good old friend. We all work together at the same place. Yeah. And then... But I wasn't really. I was there kind of part-time kind of contractor. Right. I wasn't there doing the daily grind because I was going to film school at the same time. Yes. Which we can go into that later. But And then we both kind of went our separate ways and I think we sort of connected and stayed in touch because of the hustle. And you were, you were one of the first mm -hmm. people I ever met that worked really, really hard uh, at everything you did. Yes. And... And maybe vice versa. You know, I think we both were just kind of like, yeah, those people know how to work and they know how to work independently. And that's not necessarily something that people know how to do. It's not easy to work for yourself. And I think at a very young age, we both kind of struck out when we didn't have many things to uh, have to worry about and went for it. And we're still doing it to this day. Yeah. And so I think your story is pretty pretty interesting and, and inspirational. And you're also like in the dark. I'll see, you know, you're not on social media very much, but then every once in a while you'll be like, I'm in William Randolph Hearst mansion <laughs> or, uh, Hey guys, I'm in New Zealand. And then the next day you're literally flying into South Africa or California or all over the place. Yeah. Due to the nature of what it is that you do. Yeah. And even the, the darkness as you referred to it. Um, I have a dark, struggle. Dark ops. <laughs> I, That's not darkness. <laughs> the darkness that lives inside of you. Uh, I struggle with social media in that uh, I'm not, I'm not saying anyone on it is vain. We know people are, but like I'm not, and I'm almost want to be anti that. Yeah. Like, and I question like, is this post promoting me? Is it promoting something else? Is it good? Is it, what am I doing this for? And mm -hmm. then I end up just talking myself out of posting. Like it's yeah. a struggle for me. Like sometimes, yeah, I have a business one that I maybe want to network and I get in spurts of it. I'm just like, ah, what kind of work would this get me? Is this something I should be doing? I, I just struggle with that. And then you, I listen to like Gary V or something and then I want to do it all the time. But yeah. then it's, uh, I've always been slightly, um, I don't know, private in some respects, um, natural introverts. So it's kind of that weird balance. And then I just like some of my own privacy and then 
I guess even good. some family stuff comes into. I used to not post until I got back from a trip because mm-hmm. I didn't want people knowing I was gone. Knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't know. Sounds like Anyways. a classic case of over analysis. Probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I think, um, I have, I, I tell people this, I have like two rules, maybe three rules for social media is one, don't care about it Two, that's me. Uh, don't let it control you. Yeah. And so like, that means don't let the, the, the idea that you're posting some thing control the fact that you're posting it and don't like be influenced by comments or anything that anybody's saying, because it doesn't matter. But at the same time, it does actually matter. Right. And it can lead to great things. Right. And totally. And I, even when I do post, I will check it more to see how many likes I have. Right. And from the person who doesn't want it to be vain deep down, I'm still looking at the likes or whatever. So, and that's due to also, um, addiction, uh, design or addiction by design. Yeah. Like which, you know, everybody is susceptible to and checking your, checking your notifications and checking the little red bubble. And we don't, we have a second to spare. Oh, I'll just look at my phone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no such thing as boredom anymore. No. Which is, I don't think a good thing. No. And even I found when I started doing reading again this year or not again this year, I started reading again. Uh, Like I just started reading. Focus, (laughs) focus on reading it's hard to get past the initial like 20 minutes yeah because you're like fuck i uh want to look at my phone right i don't want to read but then when you get past that and you yes. like scarf down 100 pages and you're like you feel so accomplished like more than i do in other things it's weird totally which i recently like new year's resolution kind of thing told myself i'd read audiobooks and physical books mm-hmm. and i was doing a lot of podcast listening i was just like i'll try and get in this and now i'm already 20 books in one That's of awesome. which is the entire Bible. 20 books this year? This year. And you read the entire Bible? Yeah, I'm almost done. My goal was by the end of the year to finish it. Oh my I've gosh. never read it and I grew up in yeah. you know, the church completely and I never, I mean, I'm sure that through osmosis have gotten most of it, but yeah, yeah, that was one of the ones I wanted to do and then random books, you know, all over the place. It's funny. Not a lot of fiction. Did you have the uh, illustrated Bible when you were growing up? Of course. I had, I had this illustrated Bible and the cover was denim or like faux denim. And, you know, I read the whole thing. And so then my mom would go around saying, <laughs> Kevin's already read the entire Bible <laughs> back to front. I'm like, mom, I read this illustrated Bible. And then there was also like illustrated classics. <laughs> Like Charles Dickens, oh, you know, yeah, Great yeah. Expectations, and Tom Sawyer, and like Robinson Crusoe, and it's basically like Cliff Notes <laughs> Illustrated. And my mom would be like, "Oh, he's read the classics, you know, just in like the classic uh, self, uh, or, or, or the, the, you know, the stereotype of a mom who's a cheerleader for yeah, their kids." Yeah, and like and it made me feel probably. really good. But then yeah. I, I think I got to like fifth grade. I'm like, I'm not actually reading these books. I'm reading these abridged illustrated versions of these books. So you're reading the entire Bible and uh, I've never done that. And I think I probably tried when I was younger, but then got real bored. Oh, there's some extremely boring somewhere in the middle of Deuteronomy, how to build the (laughs) temple of whatever. And yeah, or the ark. Yeah. All that, you know, whatever. But anyways, that was one of the things I want to do. One was just reading and listening to way more from, you know, Peterson to, uh, Gary V's a lot of, I mean, some uh, of it's more self-helpy sure. maybe because I'm in that industry a lot, but nonfiction. Um, yeah. All nonfiction. Yeah. A couple, 
random other ones like right now i'm doing mike rose book right now just because it's kind of history Is it new? yeah it just came out yeah. okay how i heard it or the way i What's heard it, it called? Or something like that the way i heard it or how i heard it okay something like that. anyways yeah he's great yeah so i like random stuff like that so mm-hmm. um but yeah anyways books reading <laughs> books are great <laughs> um i do think that you're probably one of the more uh no not more the first uh conservative leaning guest oh yeah on the podcast we're gonna get into that well, I mean, that's fine, but already <laughs> from obvious references, you've already, <laughs> right. So no, it's totally no, no, it's cool good. because I don't want this to just be a bunch of, uh, artistic liberal kids hanging out right. on a podcast. <laughs> I want varying points of view. Yeah. Yeah. And that's no, why I'm yeah. excited to talk to you about this stuff. And, um, I love talking all of this stuff, by the way. Well, good. You're in the right place. So you're here for what you're literally here for 24 hours flew in less, but yes. less than 24 hours. It happens and, often. And then, and why does it happen often? Um, it's <laughs> now home is different to me. My concept of home is where my wife and three daughters are. Mm-hmm. That's home sometimes. And, and we can be in different States doing yeah. that St. Louis, uh, Northern California, or on one of my gigs where they're coming with me. That's happening more and more as they get older. And what and, do you do? For people that don't know okay. you at all. Um, What's the best way to explain it? You know what? Um, I guess I, my quick elevator pitch would, I love to tell stories first and foremost. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's telling uh, a story that um, can pull on heartstrings or sometimes it's literally just basic marketing. Like, okay, there's a target audience. There's a client. Mm-hmm. How do we get the client's story to the audience? And then help them but in technical terms so yeah i make videos yes for the most part <laughs> for those stories um sorry didn't mention that i figured you'd like set me up in your little intro well i mean <laughs> no 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 I, i'll put it in like the okay. bio but yeah. you know um like you so are yeah, sorry, a producer video, video production yeah. yes uh producing i have a production company that's based out of missouri but uh we're pretty much worldwide now as far as where we operate and mm-hmm. make videos yeah and and produce them um, and I do have a few bread and butter clients or niches. Mm-hmm. And one of those is in self-help and a lot of fast turnaround yeah. uh, videos, which has kind of become my niche. And it's what has literally naturally caused kind of word of mouth style um, growth to my business and um, so yeah, so which that is, brings me all over the world. I don't know. That's definitely something I want to talk about countries and because I've had people on here who, um, I don't know, are more social media, uh, connected and they have like Adrian is a great example of someone who has used social media to really further his career quite a bit. And, um, you have done it by just hustling, like just, yeah fucking working. Yes. And to me, that is also amazing. Um, and, and it was, I, I, how, how do you even look back over the past 15 years of working and working for yourself? Like, do you look at it as a matter of just working really hard and opportunities continue to come your way? Uh, and you didn't really promote what you did ever. It was just people knew about you word of mouth. And as yeah. we know, Word of mouth is the best way to get business beyond yeah. a shadow of a doubt, yeah. I think. With some 
networking, which I'm learning more and more with mm-hmm. actually your example has been a huge example in, in your networking abilities. And I'm more recently getting into even more of that. But yeah, as far as scope of the last, I've probably been doing this over 15 years. I mean, um, I would say summing it up, which we can go into further a little bit about some of it, but I think it's, yes, working hard is definitely the one of the biggest things that I, it's a trait I got from my parents probably. And yeah. Um, seeing the fruits of that and not and even then, just hard no. like you're the only person that i know okay now that ha- like can pull and i don't know if you do this anymore but you would definitely pull consecutive all-nighters yes uh which i'm not a fan of <laughs> and have never been a fan no. of but like you would do them and still function at a high level yeah it's i there's there is some part of what makes me up that i'm driven I guess some of that drive, I can look past, yeah, being completely sleep deprived or like, it, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, working I remember hard that, is a big part of it, but it's also working to a level of excellence and going mm-hmm. the extra mile sure. that also gets that growth with, when it comes to clients, word of mouth, all that stuff in business or just, um, I mean, definitely that's what's nailed me on a couple huge clients and then they've been 12 year long clients. Like, yeah. and it's sometimes that initial one and, working super hard and then that rubs off and then people see that and then you get referred to where I'm not. But it's, it goes more than that though. No, too. It, it does. I probably. think we've talked about this in that like you have to have a high acknowledgement of empathy for people that you work with and what they actually want. Yes. Instead of what they say that it is. Oh that yes. They want. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Um, and some of it seems standard. Mm-hmm. Some of those basic questions like, I mean, different stages of my uh, production career and production companies and marketing almost an agency at one point is, you know, you get clients that come into you and they, they want to do this and they have this much to spend. Mm-hmm. And then you start asking some questions and you realize, well, they don't even want to do what they say they want to do. Yeah. And they really almost don't need to spend that much or they need right. to spend more or whatever it may be. But yeah, just starting to ask some basic questions and you can get to that point of actually telling the right story to get the outcome that's needed. Yeah. Um, and sometimes um, asking the right question mm-hmm. is key to when it comes to clients and even your own life. You know, sometimes yeah. you get the results because you're asking the wrong question, which we're getting into some Tony Robbins yeah, totally. stuff right now. But um, <laughs> but yeah, asking the right questions is a big part of it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm trying to think even from a young age, it was just driven because some, it was a passion for video. Mm-hmm. Um, I got into it a young age um, from a church that like gave me this gear to work with and play with. And mm-hmm. then I started buying my own gear, getting my own gigs. And my mom had to drive me to those gigs because I was couldn't drive yet. Amazing. <laughs> and um, did you have did you ever have a first job? Uh, probably it was probably a missionary at my church gave me a couple hundred bucks to make a video, I think. And I was just a kid at that church, just dabbling some video and more than just dabbling. I'd spend every waking minute I could there editing, playing with the cameras, just doing whatever I could absorbing even audio gear. There's still people to this day I work (laughs) with that taught me a soundboard when I was eight years old. Like, Oh my God. And, uh, yeah. What, how did you... I mean, where in school, did you know that you were inclined towards this? Like, did you yes. excel at certain, uh, you know, math, science? Well, I, I, uh, all 
all subjects. Mm-hmm. I was straight A, everything, oh, go the sorry. extra mile. So, <laughs> but I liked math. I thought I was going to be an engineer or something or following my dad's footsteps, which is um, kind of machining and engineering kind of all in one. And then, uh, then yeah, I started getting into audio through the church. Mm-hmm. Then someone gave me a camp, like said, do you want to learn this camera? And I was like, sure. And then here's some editing software. And then it just clicked. And then Final Cut came out and I got a Mac uh, and Final Cut they bought for me to really just for me like I was the only one using it mm-hmm. and I just went to town and then it yeah became to, a passion and I was good at it and started doing it for little family videos for other people at the church or whatever or uh, weddings and then it became they own businesses they needed someone to make some videos for their business how old were you then like when all that, uh, kinda- that was all between the ages of probably uh, 10 and um, you know 16 that's crazy. When like some of that was all going on. And then I realized I needed to, uh, sorry, did I just touch a cable? Sorry. Maybe I realized I needed <laughs> to, um, I need some help because I didn't know how to go into a business and like, of course, yeah. sell like myself or something. So that's when I partnered up and through a mentor that was, uh, 15, 16 years older than me. And, uh, we kind of formed a little company, then that progressed further. And, and then, uh, out of, high school then end up going to uh film school to like hone that even more and went mm-hmm. here in town to webster university and uh love that almost you know applied to all the big film schools and thought about going away and then you know just realized uh webster had actually like a legit program i got to use film my freshman year which is in film schools at that time at least that right. was unheard of really there was yeah. no freshman film programs in most places well because they had gone digital by that point correct well no hd was not quite what it is now i mean it was this was 2004 so it was still it was still video sorry it wasn't standard def like uh, mini dv tapes and whatnot you Mm -hmm. know um but uh yeah that was a huge selling point and they gave me a academic scholarship so that was another selling point and i had free rent at my parents house that was only 20 minutes away so that was another (laughs) selling point so yeah and then i mean yeah i can go into more and more history of how i got to where i am today but um i think it's fair to say that you're just uh like a self starter and you get something and you pick it up and you just want to kind of figure it out more and more yes. and more and There's some faking it until you make it within that. Yes. But a lot of it is trying to learn anything mm-hmm. once. I mean, yeah, from learning after effects to, you know, watching our buddy Fenter, um, work in that program. And then I yeah. became really, you know, like I, I could do a fair bit in after effects and now I don't even touch it, but I wanted to learn it. I learned every phase in production from audio to full 3d animation. I just like to learn it all and, you know, picked up gigs like an audio. I'm not an audio like engineer or sound guy, but Mm -hmm. I knew enough of it to like when discovery channel came in town to shoot some like haunted shows or whatever, you could pick it up. I was on the call. Like, yeah, do that. It's very similar to, to me too. It was like, I would say in the early two thousands, um, there was, you know, I, I feel like um, that was kind of the cusp of the analog arts of graphic production and video production becoming digital and starting to become digital. And so we all had a wide array of talents and skills and software that we knew how to use. And so anything would come around and they'd be like, oh, do you know how to use Flash or do you know how to do audio? And you'd be like, oh, uh, Yeah. I got this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, because really nobody knew how to handle the software that right. well, I think was the key. 
And so it was just kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll figure it out. I'll uh, do a little research, pick up a book. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of online content at that point. <laughs> you learned how to figure it out. Honestly, software of... FAQs. Yeah. Like, I re- do you remember just going through the software tutorials of something? Oh, yeah. And it's literally slowly figuring out how yes. you use a piece of software. Yes. I remember some of the earlier editing, like nonlinear editors, like tutorials. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. Like, that's how you, I definitely, yeah. For the me, it was of Googling it today or watching a YouTube how to. Yeah, mm-hmm. using those, but you couldn't quite search. You'd really have to put a lot more time into it. I mean, I picked up a lot of um, digital imaging work in town because I had had Macs since I was since I was a kid, since I was a baby. Okay, my parents had an Apple Plus or Mac Plus, and then an Apple IIe, and then eventually had the iMac. You know, the the Blueberry iMac that came out. And so just because I had a general working knowledge of the interface of Macintosh and fucking around with them and like downloading all sorts of programs and playing with them, then when I got to Photoshop, it really wasn't too hard to pick it up. And so once you get one of those programs down in terms of knowing how to use the interface, that knowledge applies to so many other totally. different pieces of software. Like I, I, I remember confidence to learn more. Software, yes. Like you can, something. and maybe more so in that time period before like software now is pretty heady. Like it, it, it's siloed, I guess I would say more so than it was when everybody was trying to figure out how to make interfaces. And so like, if you figured out Photoshop, you could apply that interface knowledge to an audio program or right. to a web development program. Right. Nowadays, I feel like it's a little more specified, a little more specialized, and it, it's a little trickier to do that. But that's the knowledge that kind of carried me through to being like, yes, I can do that job. Right. Yes, you I'll have confidence that you can accept right. it even when you don't know. So that's like, you're not totally faking it. You know, you can learn it. You know your own abilities. Yeah. And definitely did a lot of that and staying up all night and figuring I mean, it out. I remember even you learning. I mean, I've always learned through failures, like, mm-hmm. and maybe it was only my own failure. Like I didn't have the autosave set yeah. and it crashes. And yes. I spent all day editing this thing <laughs> right. and I have to redo it. Yeah. And being irate and uh, total despair because yes. of like, and then you realize the edit becomes better and you do it faster because of it. Like it turned out to be a good, but you learned a lesson definitely learning through troubleshooting. A lot of my job is actually troubleshooting. I, I know how oh, to run man. a crew in many by ways failing. I can, you know, I can right. do hundred person shoots or I'm a one man band in the middle of Peru, you know, like f- figuring out how to make it look like there's probably three people covering the shoot. Yeah. You know, like, and you just learn by failing and doing and, um, but yeah, failures are not that bad of a thing. And uh, troubleshooting is so much of it. You know, you right. can know every piece of software and gear, but can you troubleshoot a problem when, like, everything's on the line as far as getting something done? Or yeah, that is that. That's basically just uh, what would you call that? Operating under stress. Yes, and I do. I notice you do that well. I do. Like, <laughs> I'll do projects where I got to be home, editing in my little office, yeah. and. Uh, I don't really enjoy it that much, but when I'm on site somewhere and an edit is due, like yeah. a lot of my edits are due on site for the audience to view, whether it's an audience of 10,000 or audience of a hundred, mm-hmm. um, they watch it the last day a lot of times. And that 
gets me going so much more and you, totally. I can almost create better things out of that. Um, I agree. I, I do like that. Um, and it's not procrastination. It has to happen that way in this, in this element that sure. I've found myself mostly working in these days. But, uh, yeah, so the pressure is good. Basically then to fast forward you and I, and you know, you and I have had probably a similar amount of shitty jobs, mediocre <laughs> jobs, then slightly yeah. cooler jobs, then pretty cool jobs. And then, uh, fast forward to where you currently are right now, which is what? Um, well, this kind of coincides a little bit with the, uh, the reading thing. Yeah. A little bit back a little bit, but, um, I won't go back too far, but yeah, I started building up a kind of a small agency, if you will. Um, that wasn't anti, that was <laughs> like, that Pro. was a little bit traditionally, <laughs> but not big. I, I started working for some agencies, didn't like it, wouldn't go direct the client. And then I realized those clients I was going to direct with wanted all the other stuff, not just video. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, we'll take this on. So I built up a studio. I had employees doing from billboards to websites to everything, you know? Yeah. Only thing I kind of didn't do was media buying. I, you know, partnered up with someone to do that, but anyway um yeah and uh it's not that that failed or anything just kind of shifted i realized this I, I wasn't enjoying it um mm -hmm. i still work on the road doing these quick recaps you know almost little mini documentaries that showed and then i'd have to come back and you know have to get into the studio mini, multiple mini days documentaries week. for uh basically that would show at the end of an event a very okay. emotional event this isn't just a you know um yeah. Lots of therapies and interventions. Is this ministry or no corporate? Okay, this is still like uh, yeah. But when so I you know this was just even just a few years ago. Come sure. Back, okay. You know, managing people, all the other outcomes, a lot of other clients, and um, then you know, family was getting older, building up, starting new. You know, another kid would come or yeah. whatever, a new house, and just realizing that like I was kind of heading a direction. I did not, when I looked at the future, like projecting 10 years, I didn't like where it was going. Like mm -hmm. it just wasn't feeling right. So I started to kind of scale back a little bit and simplify and um, not take, actually saying no to some work, which mm -hmm. is very hard for me to do. Oh, yeah. Very hard. Um, I attribute a lot of this. Uh, my wife is like, was put in my life to be like a sounding board, but also like as tough as it is, like a voice of reason mm -hmm. that I can't hear and I wouldn't hear from almost anyone else. <laughs> and even from her, it takes me a little bit of time. <laughs> but uh, you know, I was realizing, and she wasn't like nagging me or anything. It was more like even just input on the business and everything. Yeah. And I just wanted to be around the kids more and everything. So I started transitioning to like when I was home, I was home, bring on more people to help. If I took on projects, I wasn't the main editor. Um, I'd come and clean it up at the end. Maybe I'd be producing it. I'd look, but um, to the position where I'm at now through, um, you know, a year of changes and whatnot to where, yeah, like if I, if I'm home, I might work, you know, two hours a day right now yeah. when I'm home. And then certain projects come up where, you know, I got to work all day. Like it just happened on a consulting job I'm doing. I had to be on my computer all day, but it was fine. Like, and so good, how, would you, how would you, how would you, uh, split your work or say that your work is, is it 50% working with motivational speakers and 50% corporate government? Um, I would say, Oh, uh, just over half of my work is with one client and right. maybe even more, which now. is Tony Robbins. Right. I okay. don't, I, I can say it's <laughs> not a big deal. Um, but it's not all about him though. He's an awesome dude. Yeah. Um, 
over half my work is with him now. And for a while it was like, okay, I got to balance this out. I can't put all my eggs in one basket. Um, but you know, just everything like we just, I could just connect well with him, mm -hmm. all those different departments, the people in his organization. And how did you get connected well with that initially? Um, just, uh, a buddy of ours, um, was doing some of the audio work for him mm -hmm. or a company that he worked for was, and, uh, asked if I needed, wanted to come and like, see what it was like, do some video work, kind of, kind, kind of, of spec. Yeah. I yeah. was getting paid, but it was definitely pretty low. Um, but, uh, I was still in college and I, it was an opportunity I said yes to, I, you know, I, I, I don't even take you know, like some situations I, I don't, I try not to come up with excuses not to do it. So like, yeah, I had mm -hmm. tests, I had exams, whatever through college. And I talked to my professors and they're like, you're getting work before <laughs> you even leave. Yeah. Just tell us when you want to take the test. Like I had really cool professors. So that's cool. Like I made up the tests and I was able to go on some gigs and learn the ropes. And then within a year I would had an opportunity to make a video that he would see live at an event and it just blew everyone's socks off. And I can attribute a lot of that to other people. It wasn't all me mm -hmm. that set me up, put me in the right position, like blue Tony and the oh, whole Tony. audience. Cool. Yeah. So that, uh, and pretty much then now 12 years later, still kind of doing the same thing, but improving every step of the way and taking on more projects with them. Right. And, um, worked with so many amazing people through that, that has spun off to other people and projects and yeah. in, in the self-help world and the fitness and the real estate and, just so, so many other things. That moment of like, where was their video work for their conferences at before you came around? Someone had left, I think, before uh -huh. me and it was suffering or they didn't have it. Like someone promised them a slideshow. Oh, okay. no. And they were bringing me in and I mean. You're like a slideshow. <laughs> and then, well, no, he didn't tell me that. Yeah. He told them that he was pushing me to make a badass video. Uh, so okay. I was just and this is Sam all night. That was Stan. Stan. Stan, yeah. Okay. Um. And so I just kind of grinded away at this video, not really even knowing what I was doing. Like mm -hmm. in some ways it just was trying to tell an awesome story and the right kind of music builds and cool, some cool little effects and this and that and learning how to whittle it down because um, his events, especially this one is called Day with Destiny. It's really long. Yeah. So and it's can tons you, of therapies. Actually, I'm can you outline that a little bit? Like the event? of. So I just want to know, like mm -hmm. for people listening, you were at these events and you're taking footage of people experiencing the event in order to do a recap video towards the end of the event to get people stoked. Yeah. So the main outcome is to really sum up the week because so much happens in yeah. that week. It's your audience is already knows kind of what went down. So you don't have to like yeah. tell the full story, but it's honestly anchor them back to those moments mm -hmm. and honestly putting a bow on the whole week, you know? Yeah. Uh, but you're also using some, um, emotional plays in terms yeah. of like music. Yes. Editing. Totally. To really slow kind motion of, footage that we shoot. Yeah. Like, like that's different from the footage that's in the main room. We're that's done with multiple cameras. We're shooting our own kind of a little bit more, you know, shallower depth, gimbals, mm -hmm. sliders, whatever we're using at that time, little steady cams, glide cams over the years, just whatever we had drones, whatever we can to kind sure. of spruce it up a little bit and telling more of a story that's that each participant actually went through that they could kind of, you know, uh, feel that they were part of something really big, you know? So, and those videos more and more can almost stand on their own without too much of a setup anymore. Like yeah. uh, we, I mean, constant and never ending improvement is something that actually Tony talks about. And it's 
I realized now it's in my makeup anyways to like, sure. How can I make this better? Like, that's a question I ask myself and not to get all Tony Robbins quotes. You know, he <laughs> talks about no, he's primary questions and whatnot. And uh, he's, he's awesome. But um, I mean, yeah, like I went to his events, not even knowing who he was. The, I had yeah, no idea who amazing. he was when I went. And, and I think I, the most I knew about Tony Robbins was just him being in that Chris Farley, David Spade movie, black sheep. Where's in that? Uh, I think so. No, he was, he was, or was in he a in Jack Tommy Black Boy? movie with, um, Oh, he was in movies before that. He was in a Jack Black. He, movie. Oh, like, cause I remember Chris Farley doing like, ah, I'm Tony Robbins. <laughs> like David Spade was <laughs> oh, trying the to man down by the talk. river thing. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Matt Foley, Matt Foley. Yeah. Out of the van down by the river. And then he was just kind of a uh, pop culture <laughs> yeah. figure yeah. in the nineties and before. Yeah. He's, and, um, and obviously he was doing his thing for a very long time before you came around and help to refine a specific part of his production. Yeah. But so, so much as even his own, he pushes you to a higher standard no matter what. Like yeah. He's a, so much I, I attribute to being very fortunate that I've been, I've never attended an event, but I've been at 150 different events. That's probably. crazy. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you've got paid to yeah. these events, which is um, even a little bit better. But yeah, <laughs> but we, we work really hard. We do yeah. all nighters, uh, though I'm trying to do less of those. It's not healthy. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I don't want this to be, you know, Tony Robbins hour, but a no, big part but of I my, like I said, half of my work or more. part of what you do right now. Right, and in, in some ways, along the way, and I've had some other clients that have come and gone, and some I still have had just as long, Yeah, um, that are a, sm- a smaller chunk of the pie of my work. Um, but um, you learn to start, you know, a big thing I went with as far as my work is, um, I almost partner up with a lot of my clients in some ways, mm-hmm. and some more than others where we're literally partnering like, you know, I'll do develop content with them. Yeah. And other times it's, you realize like you're joining up, you're part of their mission. Yep. Um, and you'll say no to the flashy stuff. I've turned down big brands to do yeah. cool stuff that I know they'll probably come and go, but I'm playing the long game with some clients that now just call me when they need something. Mm-hmm. I'm their go-to guy. I'm not booking myself out so much that I have to say no to them yeah. or I'm, I have employees or a team that if I can't, Someone I can will. guarantee that just as good is going to happen or I have to come in late, but they're kind of getting things started. And, um, but yeah, kind of just being that go to quality person. Yeah, basically. And uh, I enjoy that a lot more and you do have to do, I mean, anyone watching that has even kind of are listening, sorry, <laughs> shooting this, um, has a small business and especially in our line of work, how mm-hmm. many bids you do. Yeah. And that is a grind. Oh, and totally. then you realize the amount of hours you spent acquiring a new client, bidding it back and forth, whatever, all the emails. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't factor those hours in and you no. realize yeah. that you've like literally you're making minimum wage yeah. for that project because of all of the pre and post like just mess of, mm-hmm. you know, to get started with a client that I've learned and I've really enjoyed. I mean, I've had some other clients I've been a decade with and you almost grow with them and you feel part of what they're doing. And it's, yeah. you know, even if their message is just how to like, you know, train real estate agents to become better real estate agents, mm-hmm. it's still pretty cool to see, you know, and, and partner up with them. And, um, so that's yeah, I mean, how I, I kind of see a lot of my clients is, uh, as much as I can trying to the less, be a one-off thing. The less flashy stuff, um, that we work on isn't, you know, it, it may be less flashy, but it's not necessarily n- less interesting. And I think that I've always found um, 
quote unquote, non-interesting industries, some of the most interesting to do work with because they're lacking so much innovation, whether it's creativity, uh, whether it's how they're, you know, Mm -hmm. like Tony doing videos, like they're missing some element that's going to help them see so much return in what it is that they do. Right. And that becomes really exciting. What they want effectively. Yeah. Because they're stuck in this little niche. I mean, I've done some extremely, you know, from corporate to self-help kind of fits into that to completely industrial videos sure. and still putting a creative spin and asking them some basic questions that no one's asked them before. No, totally. We want to make a video on how to learn how to take batteries out of forklifts. I did some <laughs> videos about that and <laughs> it was asking them questions like, okay, how are people coming across this video? You know, what, yeah. and you well, know, are they because- hot, are they cold? Are they, you know, and then someone's like, oh, we've never thought about that. And like, yeah, well, we got to make it you know, are they watching this just on YouTube? They're going to turn it off in seven seconds if you don't show them X, Y, Z, maybe in that first, you know, little bit you get. Well, and I think what it is, is it um, you're, you're pairing your technical intelligence along with a viewer intelligence and saying, I mean, we've come, we've come across this on probably every project that we've ever worked on together and apart, but people have an idea of what they want to make in a video. Like mm-hmm. this is a classic classic scenario like okay i want to do this 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 and you know i want to tell like this is gonna be so great blah 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 and what they're lacking is viewer intelligence and you're like okay the idea that you just puked onto me is going to be a 27 minute long youtube (laughs) video that literally no one or their children will ever watch you know yeah and it's and what you provide fortune doing it well the intel this, this different intelligence that you provide is a viewer intelligence like Think about it for a second. Like, I always love doing that question with people. How long are the videos that you watch? You know, And how much is actually covered in that video? So this idea or an outline or even sometimes a script that you've presented, think about how long this is going to be and when your interest is going to wane. And if you yep. can communicate that to a client, I think that's one of the most important things. Yeah, Like, look, totally. you're already bored. <laughs> like this is already boring 10 seconds in and how are you going to grab the viewer back right uh and, and that to me is like once you can finally educate a client on how that works and they get it then it's almost like they're like fuck i have no idea what i'm doing i'm just going to trust this person yeah. to make this piece completely totally <laughs> and there's even other elements in that in this line of work i've done a fair bit um in um, commercial work from national spots to local. And sure. like, that's even a fun challenge. And like, okay, they know their limitations on time, mm-hmm. but they want to get too much in. Yeah. And like, you're just going to puke all this information up on somebody, or are you going to like get to the core message and right. they'll find out more down the line. But um, that's a whole nother, in each one of those, I remember when I first started working in like, oh, I'm limited to 30 seconds or I'm limited to yeah. 15 second bookends. And you know, or 60 seconds or, you know, and even sometimes now online, mm-hmm. they're unlimited, but you still want to keep it at that some same time frame. or at right. least uh, Instagram is kind of cool where it kind of limits the 60 seconds on a lot of stuff. Which, so there's still that mindset and people still understand that. But um, that's a whole nother challenge. It's always kind of fun. And, and video is um, the time restraints and the what information is most important yeah. to push forward. How is that time restraint like changed in the past 10 years or even five years, like 
people's attention span. Do you, as a, as someone who creates content, do you notice it getting like, okay, I really got to push this even quicker now? That's an extremely loaded question, I guess. Uh, it depends <laughs> on, you know, what you're creating it for. Yeah. I mean, from True. the local commercial, which, you know, I mean, we I used to do stuff for car, you know, local car um, dealers and they have one bad weekend and they want to change the whole strategy up, you know, and they sure. want to do it totally different and you can't do anything about that. But um, what was your original question? Sorry. Well, I'm just like, I want to know how uh, the waning attention span oh, of, okay, yeah. the, of the general public has influenced like how you edit and how you work and how you create content. I, I, I think some of it hasn't changed, but I feel like on the whole, when it comes to social media, yeah. you have to get, because you quality can, you, out there. Do you craft a lot of video for social media specifically? Yes. Okay. Yes. And in that case, it's getting to the point quickly and then going for the, going a little deeper later. Because sure. you need to capture those eyeballs quick. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's sacrificing art unless you have, you know, there's Instagram accounts that have followings that will watch the whole video. Yeah already. So it's a to totally different animal. If you're making an ad, what do we all do on Google or on YouTube when mm -hmm. an ad plays and you can skip it in three, seven seconds, you skip it, right? But has there been a few instances where you kept watching? Sure. It was the pre-roll ads that like, I think Geico maybe did. Yeah. That, that were like cramming the entire commercial right. into like yeah, five seconds. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 And those were awesome. Yeah. And then for me sometimes, which I'm a visual person, if they have a couple compelling shots and mm -hmm. you actually don't know what the ad is for yet. Yeah. That's what gets me as a person. Now I'm not the typical person. That's one thing you've got to break out of actually when you're doing this line of work is sometimes you're not making an ad for yourself Yeah, and you've got to break out of that mold. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean from totally different, you know, there, there's, it could go anywhere actually from there, you know, well, you got to get out of yourself sometimes and realize you're not the target audience. The first five seconds of pre-roll ads are almost, it's almost hilarious now, like how over the top engaging they are. Yeah. Like, Hey, Hey you, Hey, <laughs> I've made a million dollars, you know, like it's almost right. And then it, it's, it, it's a never ending trend. Like yeah. it's changing and getting on top of it is, is a big part of it. I mean, I remember when, at first, another thing for social was like putting burned in closed captioning that looks compelling because 70% mm. or Listen higher on mute. just watch videos without audio. Yeah, kinetic type. Right. <laughs> so like that's a whole nother thing too that you got to right. like there's different trends that come and go and you got to be on top of it. And, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm on the cutting edge of that. I make, sure. I repurpose, you know, sometimes when we go into, we got to make a whole campaign of videos, there's the ones we're making for individual platforms yeah. that get modified in some ways. And sometimes it's taking something long and trying making it a minute so it doesn't become Instagram TV. It's just an Instagram like post that you're limited to a minute. So that's always also like a fun challenge. It still kind of, I still comes into my wheelhouse though. I don't do local commercial spots anymore. I still have the fun Thank of God. making something a minute. <laughs> right. Thank God. Yeah. Um, though I would take some on again. It's just like, and that's kind of where I'm at now. Like, I'm a little bit selective with my work. It's just not like people aren't worthy. It's just yeah. my time is everything. <clears throat> right. And I take that in consideration more than a dollar sign. And it's not all about that. And then the message someone has, has something to do with it too. I sure. do pro bono work. I do highly paid work. It, it varies in between. I don't have a set rate or anything. 
depending on what's kind of going on. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I guess I do still like a diversity week. I don't want to just be all of one thing. Sure. And that's why I still kind of keep a chunk of my schedule. I'm just not going to fully go on board with one client or go get a job somewhere. Yeah. I want to still have that diversity and it's fun to still network and come up with new ideas with people. And, Mm -hmm. um, it kind of keeps you fresh and sharp to where you can bring that to some of your other clients too, which is always kind of neat to, uh, like bring ideas of something you worked on somewhere else that worked and to them it's totally fresh. And to you, you're just honing your skills more. Totally. So, so what, what happened then, um, just to kind of finish the yeah, narrative, we, what happened after you kind of shock and awed with this video that was produced unexpectedly? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then so, what was like kind of the next steps beyond that in order to, you know, like hustling hard to prove yourself in order to gain respect and right. trust and then to continue on? Um, with that particular, you know, client, I guess the progression was the next time around, it was let's do the same thing. But mm-hmm you realize once you have something that maybe hit and this isn't this goes across everything you know like recreating that spark mm-hmm. is kind of tough once everyone realizes the spark can be created and they yeah. want to give input to make it better or sure. someone wants to change it and then it can actually and I've experienced this at different times become worse yeah <laughs> and then you got to realize okay what worked the first time and then ever always always improving little things. Like I'm not mm-hmm. one to sit in a hotel room and edit anymore. Right. I'm in that main room, no matter what conference. And I do this for other clients as well. Sure. I mean, and even if the video I'm producing isn't shown on site, I'm in that main room whenever someone's on stage. Yeah. I like to get a vibe for the room, the story. So that's one thing I do. I don't just sit up in a hotel room and be a recluse. I am actually in there running around with cameras, listening. I have this little capture station where I'm actually logging as I go and creating clips and making notes to where it's super fresh. It's so fresh that I'm doing it right there. And sometimes I'm even editing that like some awesome sound by ended. I transfer to another computer through kind of like a network attached storage thing. And then um, I'm already cutting that up and using it. And that's the only way to roll if you don't want to do an all nighter. Yeah. Um, So yeah, did I answer your question? Sorry, I got on a tangent. Well, no, I was just saying you made that video. Okay, yeah. And then like, what was the next step of like, oh shit, like just keep improving it and trying to do better and realizing. But other work too came in, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just. Well, even while that was going on at that time, I was still, uh, had a business partner, which is a friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And we were still, we had a production company based in St. Louis. We were growing that and um, actually developing TV shows together and doing all these other things while I'm still working for other clients and that's sure. all building kind of at the same time. And it, um, and just, yeah, like I said, it's always, I guess never being totally complacent, you know, mm-hmm. with you are always trying to make it that much better. Um, and just finding little things to make it better and not reinventing the wheel every time, but just adding something fresh. And that's something I think I do. Um, you know, you, I, I look at some of my videos I made just a couple of years ago. I'm just like, Oh, it looks totally different. Like to sure. me and some people are probably the same, but I know I'm, you're, you're, you're your own worst critic. But um, yeah, it's just, like I said, keep improving it into where I'm still doing that same show mm-hmm. 12 years later, the same type of video, but it's so, you know, it's become, it's its own animal. It's its own beast. It's right. way different than what it was, but still in some ways the same. Um, and your role has kind of also changed and you're not just like 
the kid that has been brought no. in. No, <laughs> yes. I have uh, now a team that comes out and helps me and on different projects, it's different things for across all clients. I do some sure. stuff for some, like I said, some real estate guys or some guys in multi-level marketing and I bring the appropriate teams for the job and um, yeah, I, uh, you know, kind of, I guess still, um, but I'm, I still like getting there and editing on those. Yeah. There's definitely many projects now where I'm not like the lead editor on yeah. or even the assistant editor, but I still kind of like getting in there a little bit. Um, I love being involved in cinematography and if we're just doing basic interviews, making sure the lighting is good yep. and that it's all set up right. And then, yeah, I have one of my guys run the interview room or whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, I still have a passion for it, the craft. So sure. I like to get in there. It's not just about the job and a check mark. It's still making sure that everything is looking, you know, good and uh, that I'm Connected. delivering above and beyond. I don't like, I definitely stand by, you know, under promising over delivering. I mean, all the time. Yeah, totally. How hard is it to uh, go from someone like Tony Robbins to someone who isn't Tony Robbins <laughs> without like trying to name any names, right. just like what, it, because he is really um, pretty revolutionary. I think, it, I think everybody should be skeptical of everything. I'm definitely skeptical of any motivational speaker. I don't really pay attention to many motivational speakers, but I've listened to enough content podcast watched his Netflix uh, special or documentary or whatever it is that came out, read enough by him to know that like he possesses some innate understanding of the human psyche um, and he's transparent enough to create something that is truly compelling. And, and like, I know that his events and they've been negatively publicized for years and spun out of, you know, mm -hmm. completely spun out of whack. And, um, and I, I really don't have any problems with him. I think he's a very interesting person. I heard him on Tim Ferriss's podcast once or twice. And he just is the things he say, you can't really deny them. And I think the problem that people have with motivational speaking is like, or that at least I have, is that it feels, um, like an extension of, um, people just snake oil salesmen. Right. You know, totally. And I, like I said, I kind of have a little bit of this niche to where I'm doing motivational speaker videos or content or something mm -hmm. for them in, even in fields from, like I said, multi-level to real estate or whatever. And they all, um, I, I can see how you can get to that point because there are people that abuse yes. that stage and that platform that totally. is given to them or that they find themselves in to sell something yeah. and especially in multi-level it can get pretty um sometimes slimy you got to find it's the right ones in a good almost. month yeah and um but even in that industry i used to have judgments on it and i've seen people that if, if, if it's a good product yeah. and they're not taking advantage of people like you know sign up people and charge them thousands of dollars just to sign up mm -hmm. but if it's just an honest good product you know what it's like to start a business and how sure. hard it is and yeah. how much work. And this is something to where a stay-at-home mom, all the work is done for them to to like the business is almost there. They have to put in the time and be dedicated to it. So there's a lot of fruit so that can come from that. What are you, what are the best uh, MLMs that so, you think? Because I, I don't know if I want to name them. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Well, all I can think about is that one, that giant one, and I'll I'll say the the 
green one. I can't even think of what their name is. I don't know if I know. I'm actually not Herbalife. Okay, I've heard of a I've heard of a lot of them. I'm I've only worked for some and some of actually what I've worked in that industry is yeah. people who coach and go and speak to all of them in mm-hmm. a way. So they're just an expert in the industry. Sure. So that's actually what I have more experience in than a specific one. And I've worked for some specific ones and some of them you did kind of see through it and it didn't seem real. And some of it, you know, well, people do make, you know, oh, it's not even good livings off of it and they're not yeah. causing human harm, but there are ones who do, but we're going yeah. on a little tangent on MLMs, but, uh, no, yeah. I, I, I know, but it's just like the, when this Herbalife one came to St. Louis and people like it, it literally like took over the entire city. Yeah. And I would see people walking in green shirts <laughs> And I'm not, you know, this is me talking. This is not Matt Murphy talking. Well, no, I don't. Actually, I have have no affiliation with them, so you can keep going. Okay, cool. They were so fucking annoying because all their, like, it's like, um, you know, it's like uh, Mormons coming to your door or or someone that is just trying to sell you something. Yeah. That's it. And that's the problem. That's why they get a bad rap. Yeah. I mean, and rightfully so. Yes. You get the people to get on their social media and all they do is sell this stuff and it's in your face. It's just like like selling your own business. How much do you get online and talk about higher anti-agency? Never. To (laughs) Right. So, but they're they're in an industry where they have to sell the people they know. So I, I used to be extremely turned off and actually after going, and I'm not in any of them. Yeah. But after seeing more of it, I guess also I'm I'm com- a compassionate person and just I see people and they're doing that hustle and that grind yeah. and they're trying to provide for some kids and their families and isn't that what we're all trying to do anyways? Sure, but to me the to me the whole thing is that like people in the process. If the product was good enough, it wouldn't require multi-level marketing. Well, it's like, free. I mean, it's the same way. I mean, in some ways podcasts spread through a version of multiple marketing, but no one's getting the kickback. I mean, they're, well, they're selling it to, other to a people certain degree. The, right. Every piece of content ever made is right. sold, sold through, through word of mouth. And, right. And like people say, but like, they're not motivated by money to, right. to do it. Yes. Yeah. I'm not yes, motivated totally. by money doing this podcast right now. <laughs> there are no advertisers or anything. And I'm, Wait, you're not paying me to be on this right now. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just I'm motivated through curiosity, right? Right. You know, I'm not. There are no ulterior means. I'm not drinking this delicious, rich black Guinness at the moment <laughs> because they're paying me. But they should be. <laughs> My favorite beer ever made. Um, but no, it, I think there's yeah. just like um, authenticity is vacuumed out of the conversation yes. when some Midwestern mother gets pumped and realizes she can make money selling Mary Kay or some mm-hmm. vitamin juice and then hits up all their friends and their Facebook group and is like, well, um, I'm doing this new thing. Yeah. And we've all seen it. Yeah. Everyone's seen Everybody's it. Everybody's seen it. It's tough. That's why I'm not in the, I mean, I'm not in the industry and have to sell it because it seems it's incredibly scary to me. I wish sure. I'm not that person. As, you, as we've talked about before, I'm not a big social media person out there. And so you, I you feel like you personally it. have to uh, say that this product that you're going to work with is cool, not cool, but like that you somewhat believe in it. I wouldn't do anything that would uh, cross any ethical lines as far there as like, go. I don't like, uh, oh gosh, what was his name? You had a podcast. What was your, your last release podcast? Uh, Blaine? Yeah. Yeah. You guys talked about there's certain clients you just drew the line and you mm-hmm. didn't work for them. And yes. I've drawn those lines before. Sure. Um, and there's some that you take on. 
I think you guys talked, Blaine, and you talked about this a little bit too. Like you, you know, I have mouths to feed. There's some you take on. This is yeah. like this isn't going to be the most fun ever. Yeah. But um, they're paying my rate, and it seems enjoyable. I get yeah. to go to another city um, and provide, you know, pay for a few more r- months' rent or do whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So you make those decisions accordingly, and at certain times you have to do more of that. Yeah. And certain times you don't, you know. And sometimes. Oh, I sold out. <laughs> like a mother. <laughs> I mean, my God. Right. My company was called Anti Agency. <laughs> I said in that podcast, I did work for Monsanto. <laughs> I've I, I did some assistant directing work for some of their commercials. But it's been a while, and um, I probably wouldn't to the state. I just don't want to be a bash in Monsanto. But yeah, and I learned some more about health and wellness, and yeah. some of that makes you know has uh, weighs on my decisions. And sure. Uh, um, and I've had buddies that I've done some political ads mm-hmm. and certain buddies didn't work with me on the project because they drew a line and others did and they actually shared the same political views yeah. one didn't one did it was just their own prerogative and they weren't bashing me because of it and i didn't even get the job because i was like-minded yeah, to that person that is i, I, I had to remember that work yep and someone needed a space that was open on saturdays to film and sundays and we did it for them and it was a cool project and i didn't it didn't weigh on me but some people did and that's fine i mean people make those decisions and i respect that probably more than anything is that i think it's not just about money it's also getting behind it and brands appreciate that too i mean i think people um like forget about freedom of speech (laughs) and that clients that you don't necessarily agree with have money and they have the right to say whatever they want to say and like they can do political ads or sell things that you're not necessarily a part uh 100 behind and uh, there's not, a, you don't have to be so convicted that you don't make money. Right. You know what I mean? Like I met in, in this past summer, I went to, you know, obviously the White House and yep. Fox News. And I met a ton of people that I guarantee are not huge fans of either of their employers. But it's almost like they don't care. Like they can separate it. Right. You know, they don't have to be a Fox news junkie and still work at Fox news. Right. And, um, I, I, I get, I get annoyed when people are so over the top with their like belief system Mm -hmm. that it it keeps them from doing anything. Right. Or hearing anyone else or having actually like dialogue. Of course. And you've seen so many people get quote owned this side, that side, whatever. When someone's, they look like they're a crazy person yeah. just spouting off things they're regurgitating or they're angry and they're in like, they're not even having a dialogue about no, it. Not so at yeah, all. there's, and there's a proper balance when it comes to our line of work with that subject, but hopefully mm-hmm. you can find something that you do enjoy working for at least most of the time. Yes, totally. I'm very fortunate, extremely blessed that I have found that and I do enjoy it. And it came naturally through like a level of hard work and right place, right time. And even the spinoff, it's keeping my head down, working hard, trying to stay out of drama <laughs> and uh, um, just providing what clients want and then some and yeah. going the extra mile. And uh, I feel like that's something, I feel like that still kind of comes from my parents somehow. My dad's a super hard worker. I remember them even talking to me about that, you know, from a young age. It's just like, you know. Ingrained it in you? Yeah. Did you ever do uh, like a lemonade stand or anything when you were a kid? No, but I did start... <laughs> learning and enjoying 
making money of some kind at yeah. a very young age. I think maybe that's what we both have in common. Yes. We haven't got into financials. Not that we're doing No, I think that's important like, to talk about. I mean, money is a big part of life. Yeah. And I f- would find ways to make it from, you know, babysitting, which as guys, when you babysit at a young age, you're just playing Dude. video games with a kid that's like three years younger than you and making sure they go to bed <laughs> on time and heating up a frozen pizza. Now that you, you say know, that, I did that. <laughs> I think awesome. that was my first job was yeah. babysitting. And you were, you weren't even old enough to draw. I wasn't, my parents dropped me off at my babysitting gig. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I remember the family. That's so hilarious. And Cause I babysat they too. Had two kids. And like, <laughs> literally I played video games and heated up a literally like <laughs> Tostitos or whatever they are. Pizza pockets. I don't know what they were. And like, make sure they go to bed and then watch their TV. And then like, they drive me home or I don't know. It was simple. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, re- I remember even the kids being brought to our house mm-hmm. and my sister and I would, watch a movie, play with the kids, and then they'd go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And then my sister would give me like a third <laughs> of whatever, we, of the of the $2 an hour that we were being paid at the time. <laughs> but yeah, it just learning. Uh... But it's funny too, because were your parents entrepreneurial at all? No. Neither were mine. And my uncle was very entrepreneurial. But I remember the reason... Um, that I started to develop some sort of entrepreneurial spirit is that my mom made us think that we were really poor. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, I would always be, you know, looking back, I realized more and more how anxious of a child I was, but I would ask her, I would say, mom, um, do we have enough money to make it this month? Whatever. I don't even know what that means. Like at at a young age, like at eight. And my mom would go, and and we weren't we weren't rich, okay, but we were probably you know lower middle class. Um, and then as my parents kept, or as my dad kept teaching, we became just like normal middle class. And she would be like, "I don't know." I'm like, and then I get this like fear just strike me inside. And so that's that's my initial worry about money. Right. <laughs> and then immediately from that point on, I, I collected baseball cards and I would keep a ledger of yeah. all my baseball cards and what all of them were worth. And if I traded with someone, what I traded and what I got for it and how yeah. much that was work in, worth in the Beckett monthly <laughs> price <laughs> guide. And then I would go out oh. and there was no activity on our neighborhood, probably similar to yours, if I'm remembering your neighborhood, right? Yeah. We and I would, I would sit and instead of doing a lemonade stand, I would do a baseball card stand. No way. And try That's to awesome. sell baseball cards <laughs> I didn't know this. To people fucking driving by <laughs> in the summer. <laughs> How'd that go? No, it didn't. <laughs> but then one time I somehow I got a handful of CDs that somebody was throwing away, picked up the CDs, set them next to the table, and I wrote CDs and baseball cards for sale. The neighbor across the street came over, looked at it, and bought a Gin Blossom CD for three bucks. <laughs> and that was the only money I ever made selling baseball cards. <laughs> but you did something. And there's but I did so something. much, yeah. you know, now I'm getting the Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, like just doing it is sure. so much and educated risks in, you know, in our line of work. And as you get family and whatnot, some of those risks have to be lessened. And that's when you don't sell out, but you take, you know, some gigs for the money. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's awesome that you just actually did it and you capitalize on opportunities. And I feel like that's kind of 
uh, you know, as, as I started making some money at younger age and my parents instilled saving, a big thing was saving. Yeah, same here, same here. And to the point of to where I was so frugal that I was probably annoying to be around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, if, same yeah, here. if anyone knew me that's listening, this probably has a story about God. me, like not even wanting to like spend the money at oh, no bread or Panera on a bagel. I just sit But there. I always had money. <laughs> yeah. Not, not like well, to where we're when paying. I say I had money, it wasn't like, yo, I had money. It was like, no, I didn't spend money. So no. of course I had some money. <laughs> and trying to teach my kids that right now, like <laughs> the element of saving, they get birthday money and you yeah. know, I'm teaching them how to like put 10% away. Uh, but how like do you do that without doing the fucked up thing that my mom did without saying that like, we might be living on the street in a cardboard box. Oh next yeah, that's month. a little extreme. Uh, <laughs> and I'm still working on it because there's only saving past, you know, they get two rounds of birthday money or, you know, they lose a tooth and get five bucks or whatever. What's, what and then they want to like, rounds? I don't know, like uh, they get 20 bucks and then like they save it for the tooth fairy gives them five and then maybe another birthday comes around and then they get another 20. Oh, like interest almost? Well, no, they, so they accumulate that 45 bucks oh, and then okay. they go buy some Legos. Oh, so gotcha. like, I can't get them to save past a certain point, sure. which is fine. They're young. But I remember <laughs> saving nonstop to where oh. I paid cash for my first. I remember I bought the iMac, the lampshade one, you know, uh, it was like the half a bowl. One. Half a sphere. Oh, yes. And a lamp yeah, shade yeah, thing yeah, stuck yeah. out. And I bought that <laughs> it was with an my iMac. own money. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 2200 bucks, mm-hmm. And my I, my mom kind of thought I was crazy, but it was all my money. And I yeah. was, granted, I wasn't even in high school, I don't think. Like, yeah. Maybe I was just barely. And she was just like, okay, he wants to do this. Like, I'm, I'm actually cool that they let me because I think some parents maybe wouldn't let their kids spend their life savings on that. And then I like bought my first camera with some cash yep. and kept going to like, than buying cars with cash or whatever, but I was always saving. Right. And you're buying tools. the value of money. Yeah. Yeah. And, you weren't buying shit. Right. <laughs> um, and that, that goes such a long way. I try, try and teach either younger guys working for me or people in my sphere, to like a little bit about some basics of money and, mm-hmm. you know, from credit cards to all that. And I've been very fortunate that my parents taught me that oh. and, Pfft. you Dude, know, don't what? have any debt or whatever. And just like, you know, um, honestly, one of the most simple lessons my mother taught me was like, look, credit card is just a loan that you pay back at the end of the month. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes 100% sense. Like, what if I don't want to? They're like, you pay 18 cents per dollar that you borrow. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's stupid. Right. <laughs> but like, some people don't get that. I think that, I, I don't think that they get it. I think they get it. Right. I, don't, I think that they don't want to face it. Like mm-hmm. they're like, I need this short-term happiness right now to lift me up out of whatever. And I don't care about the 18 cents to the dollar that I have to pay back. And yeah. unfortunately it gets people into a shitload of trouble. Yeah. That, you know, is, is serious trouble. Serious no, yeah, debt. it hurts them for, for life. I mean, even yeah. one bad car loan can screw up everything. Like, I, yeah. I mean, you make those small steps and that's another secret passion of mine too. Like if I wasn't in a video and didn't come into like architecture or engineering, mm-hmm. it'd probably be in some sort of financial thing. Like I really that's enjoy it. Yeah. And even just studying and thinking about it just from even different from my parents did save, 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 buy, save, 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 buy like, okay, that loan at that interest rate, I'm getting, you know, get an interest rate for whatever 2% and I can go and reinvest that same amount of money. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm, but like, instead of I did, I got my first car loan in my thirties ever, mm-hmm. but I was getting 0.9% 
And instead of writing a check for that car, I wrote a check to my financial advisor for that car amount. And that's getting seven, 10%. Right. And I'm only paying 0.9 over here. So like there's different mindsets even in that, that like if you can handle that kind of stuff, that can open up a whole new world of what investing means and how to manage money. That's not fully a level of scarcity, but also, um, I don't know. It's almost entrepreneurial in and of itself. It's just it totally kind of is. It's just not sexy per se. No, but it's just running the numbers. I have, I love spreadsheets totally. and all that stuff, but, um, yeah. Um, I loved working at a young age. I guess that's where we started on this, but yeah, just, uh, <laughs> you know, um, doing the grind and, you know, even, I mean, actually some of my risks probably weren't as crazy as yours. I'm trying to think, oh, there were a few dropping all my money to like f- do a pilot on a TV show mm-hmm. that we didn't know what we we're getting into. Like that was kind of crazy. Yeah. But that you was, quitting a, a job story. like that made, you know, well, you yeah, talked about it in your last one a little bit, but. I mean, the, I mean, the whole point is that I quit my job, but I had saved enough money to quit my job. Right. And it just unfortunately happened to happen. It unfortunately occurred right before the recession. <laughs> and so like I made pretty decent money the first year I quit. And then the second year I made under the poverty level. <laughs> but the only way I was able to do that was because I had saved money yeah. and I knew how to save money. Right. And I was still... You know, at 20, 21, 22, living with my folks, not paying rent, saving money. And it's so simple to think about, you know, and then, and luckily I think, you know, we, we probably kind of lucked out on the parent lotto. Um, I think both of our sets of folks are pretty cool and and supportive. And, uh, and now we're just two boring white guys (laughs) doing a podcast. (laughs) No, but like, uh, I think that it, it, it's important to have people directing you, you know, like my, my anxiety and potential OCD leanings as a child um, could have gone way different route. And I don't even know that my parents necessarily were conscious of what they were doing, but it just worked out, you know? And, yeah. and by luck of the draw, we just kind of ended up being kind of similar people that were able to, uh, understand the basics of um, money and wealth and working hard. Yeah. And that's about it. You know, I mean, those are the keys that allow people to become entrepreneurial, I think. Totally. So like when we talk about things going well, there's also obviously, you already touched on this a bit about the failure of being an entrepreneur. Yes. And you and I both have pretty good uh, experience doing this, but I think one of the most interesting stories that we could touch on is trying to develop a pilot um, for a reality mm-hmm. TV show. Yes. So what was this? It was 2008, just coming out of college. I uh, had a business partner at the time, and uh, he had uh, three daughters, or still has three daughters. <laughs> and the concept, really driven a little bit more by him, but we were business partners, and we kind of, you know... Um, collaborated on expanding it more and more, but was, yeah, make a, a make a TV show, a reality travel style TV show about yeah. a family that travels around the world, learning how kids live around the world yeah. in the process, doing some humanitarian um, ventures, um, seeing things, um, and in some ways, educating people on how kids live around the world and yeah. also kind of get a little bit 
less, um, you know, off the, you know, um, self I'm trying to think, 2008. I'm trying to remember in 2008, what was everyone doing? There was still internet and everything. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Just a little less selfish, I guess yes. is kind of the, so, it was trying to broaden the, the horizon of typical reality television, especially for youthful right. watchers and showing them that like, Chad, you and I had traveled to probably the poorest places all over the world. And I think that that's what affected Chad the most is to see kids his same age right. that are struggling to just figure out where they're going to eat or drink clean water the next day. Right. And so they weren't had, thinking about right. air conditioning or, you know, and so it's going to be on TV. What I thought was cool was that the concept was, hey, this is a fun kids travel show that is sneaking in some pretty heavy right. themes about how worse off kids across the world have it than American right. kids, basically. And this is kind of pre-YouTube, yep. pre-vlogger kind of stuff. Totally pre-vlogger. Kind of in the world of um, uh, Mindy. Who, there was some Mindy show that was on at that time. Bindi. Bindi? That's yeah. Steve Irwin's kid. Steve Irwin's kid. That yeah. was kind of around... Um, Maybe, but that was very animal specific, right? But that's so we were kind of combining even some of that that Mm -hmm. had interest into the show, like seeing animals and whatever. So, we um first started to put this together and we're trying to pitch it to people, business owners in town, to create a pilot. And granted, we've never done this, we you know, we never even worked in TV really, you know, in that kind of sense, (laughs) In, in a national TV show, we've worked in TV and video, but. And, um, you know, I look at it now in some ways I look how some of it was foolish, but I'm so grateful for it. You know, we just went and did it, but yeah, mm-hmm. so we, um, couldn't get any business owners or people that had a lot of money to get on board. So we hit up some family members for, you know, a couple thousand dollars here and there. I emptied my savings account, some uh, friends to um, help. Yeah. <laughs> Got friends to work for free on designs, <laughs> uh, logos, Kevin Kelly, um, <laughs> camera operators, whatever. Um, Chad had a bunch of air miles. So we funded a lot of the flights through his air, air miles and we just went and did it. Yeah. Um, and it was an awesome experience. We shot it in Thailand. We came back and edited almost like it. We probably shot enough to make a whole. Now you'd almost call it a mini series, like six episodes. Probably we could have. Right. Um, but some of it was still not reality. We were producing it. The concept was his at that time, probably 12-ish year old, maybe a little younger, was kind of the director producer of this show. We were almost shooting behind the scenes of a show they were making. Yeah. So it was almost uh, too smart. Um, <laughs> it still it still holds up. I show people I, the pilot still, you can well, probably still find it online. But it, um it like the aim is almost um I you know, just thinking back on it, the title of the show is called Kiki and Phoebe. Kiki and Phoebe, small world, small world. And, um, the idea I think was so different because it just wasn't bullshit. Like it was literally trying to like do some good in kids and trying to increase their awareness of the world population. Yeah. And we went to Thailand and we took vehicles up crazy roads, breakdowns, all kinds of things happen ended up in the hill tribe country past Chiang Mai where um, I think they said at that time, if I remember right, every kid under eight years old in that village had never seen a white person. <laughs> so we come in and, you know, luckily we brought some people to kind of help us cook and kind of a guide. Yeah. And the, uh, at that time, the, uh, 
I guess it was the chief let us use, I mean, he wasn't in like any kind of garb with feathers or anything when I say chief, but you know, of that village, right. let us stay in his kind of hut, which was only had three walls. The rest was jungle. Yeah. Like and the you know, basically these girls, their first time, which was my business, Chad, my business partner's um, daughters, like using non-Western toilets. I mean, there was hole yeah, in the ground yeah. kind of stuff. Those toilets where you hover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we had a blast, you know, little baby elephants. We actually did some humanitarian work. We, Oh, gave that's them right. chickens and uh, pigs, little pigs and uh, a bunch of medical supplies. We played soccer with them. It was so much fun. It was a ton of work. Like, yeah, um, I, I because talked it, my brother into being our sound man for free. <laughs> that's right. I think he even had to pay for his own flights over there <laughs> and work for free and learn how to run sound. Yeah, um, but um, amazing experience. And then there's a whole rest of the story is after that. We're going to say right. some. No, I mean, I'm just still thinking back to the whole concept of it, of it just being like, I'm, I'm trying to think about what didn't work. And it wasn't that anything didn't work. It was just that it was almost too real yeah. <laughs> for reality TV. If it was done any later, it would be really good probably on YouTube. Sure. If we had been oh totally like it, yeah that's a great we way to almost put it. a little early yeah but and we went through i mean pitch meetings with Man, pretty, that's we a got great, a good lawyer that's we, a great way to think about yeah. it and we you know uh some networks kind of want to just buy the idea and we were like we want to produce this show we yeah. want to be it um and uh then a little further we got in touch with some people that were really going to like they were like showrunners they'd shop the show but they encouraged us to like change the pilot because our pilot kind of ended at a weird spot and That's we were right. like and and this is another lesson in this industry this like like nickelodeon or this was somebody that had a lot of attachments to nickelodeon and a couple other networks okay but they said you just need to wrap the whole thing up in the pilot we're like we have so much stuff we can make this so much longer yeah. and i remember learning this in film school like a professor like be prepared to cut the scene that you've spent the most time or money on <laughs> to further the story or to better the outcomes of the project. Yeah. And it's tough lessons to learn and you learn it each time. And then it was like, we put so much time in this pilot and you're like the pilot that was 30 minutes only got us like to where we're just landing in Thailand. And we had this whole trailer, like yep. how to sell it. And he's like, button up the whole show now in that 27 minutes, the whole trip. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> ton of work, went back, read it, interviews, whatever, made it all work, got it together, shopped it around. But that eventually landed us to more private funding mm -hmm. to syndicate it on ABC Saturday mornings. It was like going to get going. We raised a couple million bucks to like basically we're paying for our own uh, spots wow. around, you know, the U.S. So it's it's paid syndication. Um, to where the networks really don't have so to take wait, any risks. Through the 27 minute version that was the entire trip, mm -hmm. you raised a couple million dollars to do buys, basically. Yes. Yes. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. And there, I'm skipping so much <clears throat> stuff. Yeah. No, I know you're in are. there kind of moving around. I mean, from different people that said they could sell it that didn't and mm -hmm. frustrations. But then finally, and uh, I, Chad gets a ton of credit for, I mean, spearheading this whole thing for and organizing sure. it. Of and course. In some ways at that time, I was still you know, learnings. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I was raising a family, trying to still work or starting a family, trying to yeah. still work all this stuff. And, uh, he had kind of a full-time gig was able to like, um, support and could focus on it. And I was a little all over the place, but granted we got this, uh, uh, kind of private investor almost that was looking to do some projects, film projects, TV shows and stuff. 
So, and we got this whole deal. We actually were like signed up to buy the time on ABC Saturday mornings and starting to shoot the first kind of season in town, mm-hmm. which led us both to like quitting jobs and uh, saying no to clients, major clients, right. and like kind of basically putting all of our eggs in this because it was a done deal, signed on the bottom line, contracts, everything. Um, and then one day, pretty much nothing after we started buying the gear, acquiring a whole bunch of gear. Um, I remember that. And which was fun. Yeah. Spending six figures on gear. It was great. <laughs> um, and not our own money. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it uh, um, started filming some stuff in town, getting ready, uh, starting to plan flights and mm-hmm. how the whole season was going to lay out. And then just nothing. Crickets. Crickets. From? No, from the investor. Oh. Okay. No money being sent anymore. So they were sending you money up to a point to purchase gear and to purchase even tickets buy, and, and even to fund our, our, our time, like our salaries wow. were coming from that, like pretty much to and where they we just stopped. They just got cold feet and yeah. Do you ever know what happened? You know, I don't, there was an element of like, we tried to get some information mm-hmm. and there was maybe some legal stuff that I don't know if I can talk about. I don't think sure. it's not an NDA, but in some ways it doesn't matter. Yeah. The bottom line is, we could have tried to fight it because there were contracts, but mm-hmm. like we don't have billions <laughs> yeah. and we need to start making money quickly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I had to go back. Luckily, you know, some clients were actually eagerly awaiting my return, which was an awesome blessing. Yeah. Um, and we were kind of really grinding it out for about a year. And then it was okay. You know, uh, should we still pursue this TV show? Cause we still have the show. That's still really good. Or should we build clients up mm. and kind of f- further the business? And uh, that's kind of where we, him and I split and he pursued the show a little bit more and I kind of went through the grind of building up a business yeah. and trying to get new clients and kind of go that route. Um, not that I was giving up in the show, I was still kind of able and willing to help, but it was just like, I got to make some major decisions. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it w- and I honestly, my take on it is I, I wouldn't, it's weird to say and it, like I almost wouldn't change anything, but because I learned so many lessons through that and I can't think of my life now, like what it would be with all that working out. Mm-hmm. Um, though it was extremely tough, extremely tough. Lots of tears shed, lots of, I mean, we put our all into this and that's yeah. even some, we've talked about the dangers of putting like too much. Like, yeah. Uh, and it's not that Gary Vaynerchuk or some of these guys sometimes encourage everybody to put your all into everything and like give it everything. But like, there's a whole other chunks of your life you should consider, yeah. you know, family, work. security, um, even humanitarian type elements. Like there's, there's a whole lot that goes into fulfillment I've learned. Mm-hmm. And I have whole theories on this and I could talk on it for a while, but there's an element of, I don't know if putting your all into something is healthy. There has to be an element of other offshoots. And it doesn't mean all your income comes from one source. I just mean you're all your extreme makeup. And we almost kind of ventured down that, like mm-hmm. this is everything, this show, like this is what we were here to do. And when that doesn't happen, it is crushing. And yeah. entrepreneurs experience this all the time. I mean, the For stats sure. on businesses failing is very high. I think there's phases of sacrifice and that you get into a phase of a project or um, a client to where you are just giving it your all. And there's nothing wrong with it. And I, I enjoy those phases, but I think the older you get, you kind of temper those phases with 
the reality of what you want to do every day. Mm -hmm. And like, there's a lot of days I don't want to be sitting up editing video for 24 hours. <laughs> right. Right. And so, and that also just comes with experience and age and, you know, like knowing what you want in life. It's so much easier to get passionate about something when you're young. Yes. And, and be like, oh, this is a great idea. Yeah. And that should be wanted, stifled. There's so many good things that come out of that. There's so many good things that come out of that. But the inevitability is that you do get older and wiser and that you aren't going to sacrifice your weekends to work on a project that you're, that you aren't necessarily a hundred percent feeling. Right. You know, and honestly it kind of just comes down to money. And, and like, if it's a project that you actually believe in 100% or, you know, like I can't, I couldn't be doing this podcast, whatever it may be, whatever it may evolve into. If I wasn't completely just excited about doing it. Mm -hmm. Totally. All right. Like, otherwise it would just be like, oh man, I got uh, two, three hours that I got to devote on Sunday night to, you know, talking to Matt, which <laughs> I would probably do anyways. But I think the thing is, is that money loses its luster as a big motivation. And you just realize that like, okay, do I really want to spend my time right. doing this thing well, today? Time is a currency as well. Uh, well, it's the, it's the most important currency, right. you know? And it's taken me, I've only kind of come into some of that in the last year yeah, um, or two on really like what is most important. And it is kind of weird. Time that management. Shifts. Yeah. Like Seneca, the Stoic philosopher, he says, time is the thing of which man gives away the most freely yet is the most valuable. That's like, good. That's something that I think about all the time. Right. You know, most, yeah. I mean, that's really good. Actually, You give, you give, you give money you know, away. Uh, you hold on to money very tightly. You hold on to possessions. But then somebody's like, hey, can I get a coffee with you? Or just shoot your mind or, you know, mm -hmm. tap into your mind for a project I'm doing. You're like, yeah, sure. Or blah, 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 swing by, let's go to lunch. And that meeting ends up being two hours. Then right. you come back home and you're trying to get back into your swing of things for another 30 minutes yeah. to an hour. Yeah, totally. Uh, I remember when I stopped drinking beer at lunches. I mean, my God, there is nothing that can disrupt your day more than a, even one beer at a lunch. And yeah, I, I don't I, do it. I don't, no, you can't. I don't think I've ever really done much of that. I remember but. having a beer at lunch and then you come back and it's two 30 or whatever, one thirty, two thirty. 30. You're just sitting there and you're like, dear God, I just want to go take a nap. Wait, so bad. You don't do this every day. This, but, I thought this was the Kevin Kelly lifestyle that we all. The owner to. of Snakebite does not <laughs> do beer lunches or martini. Can you imagine doing like martini lunches, no. like drinking multiple martinis during a lunch? I just feel like people just didn't get shit done in the fifties and the sixties. <laughs> like they go out for a martini lunch well, yeah. and they come back to the office and they'd probably just sleep. I mean, I only know based on <laughs> Mad Men, but like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, they didn't really do that much work. <laughs> no. I mean, what are you doing? You know, and like it, it, workplace stuff is so funny to me too. And it's just. Oh, we could talk about that a bit too. I mean, you know, uh, though I maybe had a small office for a bit and I've worked at some offices even as a contractor, but yeah, um, I remember even when I contracted at an office, just how much time is wasted. Oh my I God. feel like some famous it might even be Vaynerchuk or somebody was talking about this recently. I, I love like, that dude. 
I actually don't listen to him that much. I can't I listen, listen to him. I, he's so fucking hyper. I actually don't, but I feel like he comes up on, you know, when I scroll through Instagram here and there, yeah. which my minutes per day is probably like, it's in the minutes, like three minutes a day average or something. Oh, that's good. I'm on social. Maybe not even that. A whole week might be six. Like, yeah. I just am not. You may much. be the only person that actually needs to up <laughs> their social media time. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So I've quoted Vaynerchuk a couple times now, but somebody I saw about that, but yeah, how much time is wasted in offices and you yeah. think about that and, but it is a way to get stuff done. I remember there was that balance even when I kind of had my own, it's just like, yeah, when we're all in one place, we can literally knock some stuff out. Yeah. But I was hyper productive, probably too much those mm-hmm. days when we did that. Yeah, they were a grind, but we got a lot done. Well, I think that's but office lifestyle. Is oh like, my God. It's insane. Like we've, I know we've talked about this many times, but the ineptitude of corporate America and like people with power silos in their offices and owning stuff and like being so damn lazy. Like it's insane. Like that's and how long meetings go on for that meetings. No point. My God, <laughs> literally no point whatsoever. I don't care if you pay me hourly. I just rather be in there for what you pay me to be for and not be in your meetings at your no you know, like well and i think meetings. when you're young like when you're in your 20s mid 20s 25 you're like ooh, meeting cool like <laughs> I, seriously i mean like as somebody who is attuned to wanting to make money i'm like all right sweet i'm in a meeting drinking coffee i guess it's pretty cool i think we're gonna get a lot of work done today and then you slowly and painfully learn that like nobody's going to do what they said they were going to do and am I the only person that's actually going to do what? We, you know, what is that? I don't I know. Don't like know. It, there, anytime I've gotten a client in the past and thankfully I am kind of trying to get out of client work. Um, I'm just always so amazed at how little work is done throughout the course of a work day with the majority it's of impressive. clients. It is impressive and it's depressing because you realize that people, what are they doing? Like they're just sitting there probably trying to run their lives. Right. And everyone does have lives and other things going on. And I guess that's, but also we have some luxuries as owners or contractors. Well, because we are the original performance based workforce. Right. And like, I always (laughs) like sometimes, I mean, I just like, I I think some of those people and I almost every once in a while, not often, but every once in a while you get a little jealous, like, Hey, they actually have a routine. Like I'd love to get in routine. Like well, I want to work out every day. I want to routines like, are comfortable. Right. But then I like sometimes just like, Oh my gosh, I have three weeks yeah. with my family every day with barely, barely any projects going on that I got to like do that much on, like I said, an hour or two a day. And yeah. I just go to the swim lessons, go the to freedom. this or that, hang out with them and do some of my own little freedoms. And it's just like, I love my job. Like I of can't course. believe this, but you know, I uh, here's 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 I'll boil it down. You never have a better vacation than when you work full time or when you're when you work full time in an office because you're able to completely disconnect and you don't really care and you're not thinking about it. When, when you, you go, go on vacation, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You can completely psychologically disconnect from whatever it is that's in the office. Mm-hmm. When you become an entrepreneur, when you start working for yourself, you never have that feeling ever again. You basically sacrifice that feeling. Yeah. What you get in There's, turn yeah. is you completely kick away the boredom and apathy of working in a workplace and your life automatically becomes 
by necessity, way more interesting, way more stressful, uh, <laughs> way, ma- way more packed days, but you're never bored. You know, like in the workplace, yeah. boredom is frequent and plentiful. When you stop working it's for yourself, true, yeah. boredom doesn't exist in your life. Or when you start working for yourself, boredom does not exist is, any longer. Is that a hard, because technically I've never had a real job, a full-time job. Which is, is that true. move hard to make? Like you kind of had a full-time well, job, or you did, and then you... How no, you, I mean, I, I had been freelancing before I started working full-time. And, and then it was just a quick learning process of being like, holy shit, like you know, despite being in the unique subset of religious ministry, which is a whole nother podcast (laughs) uh, that we both were working in, there's still elements of workforce or workplace, uh, common workplace things that exist. And I don't know what it was, but I was just blown away. Like, I think we would talk frequently. Like I just knew that I could get stuff done really quick Mm -hmm. compared to everybody else. Yes. And I didn't even think that it was really quick. You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, like, yeah, I was right there with you. I, so like yes. you're receiving project briefs and, it, and a lot of things that I did were miscellaneous graphics for projects and uh, departments and whatever. Uh, before I started getting into like book cover design and CD design and then campaign design. But you just receive these little project slips. You take one, read the brief. Okay, cool. Knock it out. Done send it back. Or, and then I'm like, wait, every time I keep sending these back, they just keep blowing me up. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at other people. I'm like, okay, how quickly are they getting it done? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm just doing half the time. <laughs> so I would have all my work done. I'd literally start working around, walking around the workplace and hang out with people for like two hours, <laughs> <laughs> like go from department to do. And that's where I yeah. really started to learn like about, um, professionalism, honestly, mm-hmm. and, and empathy. Like I would just go from department to department, whatever it was, and talk to this person about what was bothering them. And like, okay, like how did they figure that out or how'd they get that done? You know, and just general curiosity. So by the time I decided to quit, uh, you know, I, I had some work already set up, but it, it you, know, you know, now that I'm actively thinking about this, it took me, I would say, five to seven years to make the switch to being successfully independent. Um, Because the biggest change is that you become your own time clock and Mm -hmm. you have to have um, an unwavering sense of, of self-discipline. I was going to say that. Yeah. Um, And I've, I'm just now coming to me as I'm, as I'm voicing this. Um, you have a job and you have to be there at 8 a.m. or whatever it is. And then you're, you're looking for ways to skirt responsibility. It's just human nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you're a homicidal maniac that loves working, whatever it is that you do that you don't even care about. Mm-hmm. But then when you start to work for yourself, it's like, Oh shit, I could sleep in. I could push that <laughs> off another day. I mean, but I, yeah, I need to make money. And I, and I enjoy the freedom that I have doing this. And it's a, it's a slow lesson to learn. It's not easy. Um, for you, I guess it was maybe easier because it was kind of like you were always an independent contractor. Right. I never, since you were eight, 
<laughs> I never, yeah, I never, I mean, I guess some people technically W2'd me, but I was never full-time anywhere. Yeah. It's just for whatever record keeping, like I technically was an employee places, but never full-time. And uh, yeah, I guess I always was driven to like, yeah, how can I make the most of the time I do have working for something? Even when I travel, if I can work on other projects while sure. I'm away from my family, I'm going, to, I'm going to try and make the most money I can. Yeah when I, I'm forced to be away from them. So when I am with them, I can, you know, hopefully take some time off. And so um, I guess, yeah, I, I didn't have to go through that, but I always wonder would people decide to make that move if that's hard or not? Cause you, I mean, that's what a lot of these motivational people go after in some ways is people totally. that want to. I think it's hard if you don't know grind. how to save money. Yeah. Is basically what I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Is that I was able to make under the poverty level for a year. And still be fine. Right. Because I just saved money like a mother. Yeah. You know, that's the whole key. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to figure out how to be responsible and right. have enough self-discipline. But all the while, I had saved money. And so I was, and not really, and, and, and not really spending money either. Right. That's, a, that's another tough thing to curb. Even when you have it. Yeah. What can you start? spending less on and analyzing it to also plan for the future. You know, I'm in the stage of like, you know, future planning and sure. like, okay, when I can at least slow down a little bit, you know, what does that look like? What do I need in investments or accounts or whatever? How much do you, you do know? standard investment kind of practices? Um, what's standard? It's like, like Roth 401. Um, no, actually. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I have a financial advisor who I trust and goes over things with me and puts together the, it's really just a risk thing, but yeah. so much of it is actually getting someone you trust yeah, and vet them out and make sure they're not taking a percentage on the products they're selling you or the investments mm. they're selling you, yep. that yeah. they're just making a percentage of your money. Yeah, And there's some that don't charge percentages, but then where, how are they making money? Right. There's nothing that could be true. And even the lower ones, how good are they? Capitalism so 101. In some ways you get what you pay for, but if they're making a cut, yeah. so they have to be a true fiduciary of your money, not a fiduciary some of the time, um, then yeah, let them do their craft. And honestly, there's an element of setting it and forgetting it. Yeah. Play the long game and you can't beat the market. You can't, I mean, over the long term, it'll be fine. Sure. If there's another 2008, I'm not freaking out because yeah. it rebounds. So I literally don't look at it that much. Honestly, in a I weird way, I'm kind of looking forward to the next recession. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can buy, well, that's that's where fortunes are made. I mean, yeah. in some ways I am too, but I, I mean, yeah, these things are going great. I don't really want it to happen, but be prepared. Sure. I mean, expect well, I, the worst, you know. Yeah, I'm expect so the that I don't come off sounding like a complete asshole. <laughs> it, it's that... Um, having been super poor during the last recession or just not even super poor, but not having money coming in. Um, and then realizing what I've learned in the past 11 years and then noticing that like, okay, how can I benefit off of things going down in value? Mm -hmm. And totally. the obvious thing is obviously like real estate, you know, real estate drops, and while, of course, this is not a beneficial thing for the country at large and for people in general, you have to, one, yes, acknowledge that and know that that sucks, but you also have to be smart and know that like, 
okay, I can probably make some solid investments here while the market's not doing so well. Um, yep. And that's not, I don't think that that's like an unethical perspective or, or point to have. No, it's actually... Like you're literally uh, yes. putting money into the economy, trying to help revitalize it and the investments that you make into the economy then will capitalize off of that, you know, right. that growth. And clearly for it to be that low, somebody lost out, but you can't think about that too much because you can't control that, you know? Right. But yeah, I mean, buying low, Not the banks. High, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, and, uh, I don't know how we got on investments. Well, I think it's Money. just, it's, it's, uh, inherent to being an independent. Yeah. You know, professional. Big time. That chair is squeaky as hell. It is. <laughs> so nowadays I feel like, how are you getting, are all of the travels that you're doing a, a result of working with these different kinds of, like, why were you at the, the, the Hearst mansion? Okay. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the last year I've hit up quite a few countries. And um, why are you in Peru and Australia? Okay, like, so you're some so, of it you're so is quiet about it. Personal <laughs> want to do. Yeah. I, me and you know, my wife love to travel, but we don't do that much on our own dime. Sometimes mm. we do it in conjunction with somewhere else I'm going. That's the smart way to do it. Right. And then there's one less ticket to pay for. But sometimes you realize you do the math and how crazy that is. And you're like, no, let's just do our own trip. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, um, a lot of the cool places I've been is yeah, uh, clients sending me there to make to capture some of their clients going on adventures and activities. I mean, adventure groups. Oh, interesting. Um, so, but yeah, so that's what I was saying. The last year, I went to Abu Dhabi. I was doing that like a live event recap video that showed at the end. What's Abu Dhabi? I've never been. It is actually is it like it one of the most surreal places. Vegas of the Middle East. <laughs> it is, that's what it seems like it's so weird because it's it feels kind of vacant because you're in the middle of the desert but it's yeah. also highly populated but even some of the restrictions on women and like you got to be careful on certain things and like oh yeah some of the women we were i was with like that were i was working with coworkers or client on the client side like wearing open-toed shoes or little things like that or crossing the street there's little things that they had to worry about yeah it, it was just kind of surreal I, I can't say like there's elements up. I enjoyed doing it. Like <laughs> right. I went, I got to go ATVing like in the middle of sand dunes in the middle of the desert. Like, yeah, that was a blast. <laughs> and it, it was, you know, definitely really cool elements. Did you see any trip. cars on two wheels driving down the highway? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, though I did see what the Falcon and you know, whatever. The um, what? Like they have like those Falcons that they train to like, Oh, the falconry shit. Yeah. Yeah. I saw some of that. Um, Saw some cool cars, amazing buildings, like luxury, like cool views. But um, it's just a weird element of wealth. I, I, it left yeah. me kind of uncomfortable like yeah. throughout it. Like I felt more at ease sometimes in third world. Like I was in element, I was in Peru as well this year. I went to Machu Picchu. And, mm -hmm. uh, that was again a work trip, an adventure uh, a group that gets together and um, travels the world together and uh you said I that felt more it. comfortable yeah in certain parts of peru where maybe it might be lower income or whatever like there's elements of more comfort at ease or at oh, least because yeah, it's, it's not a familiar <laughs> it, yeah it's it's there's a familiarity still to an element of it even yeah. though it might be you know you're looking over your shoulder you're being a little careful but that's just general travel right. iq um but yeah and then some of the travel let's see i mean yeah i've been to uh 
Yeah, Cambodia recently and Angkor Wat this was year? same kind of yeah. Oh, cool. Same kind of. What were you doing there? Same kind of thing. Okay. Uh, the adventure side of that, like uh, adventure trip with that group. And uh, what do they do on these trips? So they might uh, actually the group's pretty cool. They do some humanitarian stuff usually everywhere they go, mm-hmm. and then um, they pack it full of activities for them. And sometimes there's some content they'll bring in like a guest speaker and they'll be in a, a ballroom a little bit. But there's a lot of actually a lot of I've been ATVing like I think in like six five different countries this year. <laughs> I feel like um, repelling. I got to climb mountains and stuff and do some of that with them and film filming them while they're doing it is also an art form, which is kind of fun, you know, yeah. the right gear and sometimes taking too much gear or pushing yourself too hard. What are these people generally like successful business people? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and, uh, is it, and is it probably equally as cool as it can also be sometimes awkward? No, it's, um, it pretty, it's pretty, uh, enjoyable for me as far as even the the people are amazing and really you get talking to them and sure like you learn a lot from them and i enjoy in some ways having even in some ways i consider them a peer group and i gotten to know a lot of them and i just um, they're great people and you i mean it's just i can't anticipate myself ever going on an adventure trip with other business people right <laughs> and they're they're even they're all like-minded in a way to where they can let loose and have fun and encourage each other and whatnot of that group you know yeah they're not a bunch of stiffs in any way but um yeah and then some of the other work i do is more ballroom setting like there wasn't a bunch of adventures like abu dhabi or um where i just was in hawaii and maui there was more um there was some kind of venture things but a mm-hmm. lot of it was like ballroom content but they like to. What you, what's ballroom content? And so, in some hotel, oh, okay. there's a ballroom. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, set yeah, up yeah, a yeah. show where there's content, different speakers or whatever, and um, it's just different. Different projects have different amounts of content where the content yeah. is developed for the video I'm making. Sometimes it's more adventures and activities. So sometimes they sometimes have it's like more main room conference days. Yes, versus uh, you know whatever they call it. Adventure days. Adventures and times and sessions. And yeah, I mean, there's, and some of the other clients I work for, um, like in some of the real estate side of things where I make um, these kind of videos, it's all in the room. Mm-hmm. But they have a lot of cool speakers and they do some, you know, we can kind of keep it interesting, but the video is a lot shorter in that one. Sure. We get really good sound bites, mix it with some cool dynamic footage, slow mo, whatever. And it's used more of a marketing piece. And there's others that we go really deep into the story and we really tell a story of the week and have montages mixed with moments with tears and laughter and a lot of comedy and whatnot. But yeah, so most of the travels I would say are with all that. And some travels that are just basic, like I have a couple of clients in LA, I go in LA and try and hit up some of those meetings or... um, I mean, is it interesting though that like, I feel like you or I could never do one of these kind of trips because we know all the, the meat that goes into making the sausage, <laughs> right? I know I could. You've never been on right. one though, right? What? You've never been on one as a guest. No. Right. No. And so like watching a recap video, it would be like, oh, I know what they're doing here. Yeah, but there's nothing fake about it. No, I, mean, I in some get ways, that, but we are here, making here. it flashier or yeah. shorter and more compelling if it isn't there. But usually it's all there. You just got to make it dynamic. And- Here's one way I can put it is that um, one of my jobs was working at a banquet center. And as a result of this, I attended a lot of weddings of people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And 
invariably I ended up hearing every iteration of a best man speech <laughs> or a bridesmaid speech that you could think of. Right. And so now it's, even if I know the people, I'm just comparing it to the other 100 best man speeches that I've ever heard before. True. <laughs> I, I get you. And I guess there's different levels. There is the cookie cutter kind of maybe events that might happen. And I've seen across multiple clients. I was in New Zealand with a completely different client that I'm talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And they had, that's a buddy of mine's company out of Australia. And they had kind of, it was um, only people within their company. They're not selling this, like people don't pay to go. They were paying for their whole company to go to New Zealand sure. to have this trip. And that's even a different vibe and mindset. Yeah, totally. But I, I would think all of them, the ones that are more cookie cutter, definitely it would be hard to just pay money to attend. Yeah. But if my company or someone else was paying, I could still let loose and enjoy myself. Sure. But if I was truly paying the money, I would definitely linger towards some of the ones I see and do that are smaller numbers, mm-hmm. less cookie cutter. You can get into more places. It's hard to get 500 people on a certain kind of adventure, you know. Well, um, even in traveling though, like, have you ever been on a tour? Yes, a walking tour in Rome before. Yeah, that's probably no, no, no. It. I mean, like, not a walking tour, like a an entire tour of like a seven day or no. Okay, and I have, and like, as someone, you know, we both traveled pretty extensively with work and mm-hmm. without work, and um, you know, I I don't see either of us being able to go on like tours. Like we're not tourists. No. And you're right. At some point, <laughs> the veil is completely, yeah. you see behind it, you see the organization, you see how poorly it is organized. Yes, yes, I can get pretty nitpicky and my wife will give me those nudges. We've been in a few of those situations or places where it's just like, yeah. And we did one of our first actually vacations at a resort. We're more like Airbnb and stuff. Mm-hmm. We did it just recently. Did you find yourself like paying attention to the operations? <laughs> yes, a little bit more. <laughs> and they had some shows. We went to the Disney property in Oahu. Oh, man. Um, I went on a cruise for the so first time, fun, but it was, oh my God, I've never done a cruise. Oh That'd my be tough. God. <laughs> like immediately, you know, I'm on this cruise in Alaska and I have told my family multiple times, I never want to do a cruise, you know, but as people get older, as your parents get older yeah. and as your sister and her family and your nephews getting older, you know, there's not a whole lot of times to where like you can all be together. And I'm like, okay, I'll go on this Alaskan cruise with you guys. We'll hang out, whatever. And um, and it was pretty funny because I remember my mom like trying to coax me to go on this cruise. I'm like, I don't want to go on a fucking cruise. She's like, all right, well, let's get a drink packet. We'll have a good time. And so in the week leading up to the cruise, I was already in Seattle, like doing other work shit. And uh, my mom goes, hey, I wanted to let you know, we didn't get the drink packet, but I got you the uh, Wi-Fi packet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The whole point of going on a cruise is getting to have unfettered alcohol. <laughs> right. And she's like, no, I know, I know. But I got you um, the Wi-Fi packet, which is two hours um, a day of Wi-Fi access. I'm like, I don't want to be on the internet on a cruise, you know? <laughs> Great. She, like, I just love how she slipped that in there. She's like, hey, we didn't do the drink packet. We did the Wi-Fi packet. We don't want you drinking that much. From <laughs> Which I didn't need to anyways. But uh, it was just so funny. You know, I immediately get on the cruise ship and I notice, I'm like, wow, uh, all of the people working on the cruise ship are from Cambodia, Thailand, or some other Southeast Asian country. And so then I start talking to them. And then like, because 
I guarantee nobody else is talking to these people. Right. They just want their bed made, clean up the puke yes. that I puked out, clean up the wine that I spilled everywhere, and you know my fat, my fat white American shits that I take in the toilet and make sure that's perfect every time I come back into my room. You know, and so we start talking to the guy, and he's like, "Yeah, we go on this cruise for nine months. We we do nine months of cruises, no vacation." Um, and I sleep in the interior mm-hmm. and we sleep like six to a room. <laughs> I'm like, I, my trip is already ruined. Like thinking that there's other people on this trip that are just, their life is sucking, you know? And, and eventually I did come around to realize, okay, they're choosing to do this. They're right. not being forced to do this. This is helping them. They're receiving money. Right. You know, and I think that the, the thing that you have to realize is that like, you just have to be a cool person to these people. Right. I experienced that on some of my trips as well. Yeah. And like bond with that, especially because I'm coming in as they'd see me working hard. I'm slugging cameras and gear and everything. So they almost associate me like, Oh, you're kind of one of us, but you're not from our country. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I can relate to them. So like I can talk to the drivers and be like, Hey man, can you get me ahead of the group? I got to go do this or that. Or I'm thinking about things or, when I'm with, you know, the guys, they'll treat me a little differently. And it's, you and build that's that camaraderie so, with That's so much locals. more fun. Yeah. I think. Like, yeah. my, I, I always used to say that the most fun I ever have traveling is working. Because um, everything, like, you've got an aim to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're still taking in everything. Totally. But you're not just one of the sheep. You're right. One, you're one of the sheep dogs. And that's <laughs> why I, I, again, I feel totally blessed and, like, fortunate that, I have clients that do want to take me around the world and I get paid to do it. I get to experience things. Yes, I am working. Would it be different if I was just traveling? I think, but I don't know that much different. I have the last Mm -hmm. many, many years. Most of my travel has been work related. Yeah. A few things that like we extend a couple days. My wife comes out. Once we started having kids, it became a little bit harder to do some of that. But yeah. And then it becomes when we go on even family trips, like, I'm actually one of those people that loves Disneyland because I can like, we can work and go the whole day and the kids have a great time. You and, and Josh Boston, man. When they're lit up, you, I'm lit up. You guys I should love go it. together. And, but the ones where you got to sit and do nothing. Yeah. Like I, ha- I struggle because I'm a go, go, like I've, I become yeah. better at it. Like doing nothing though. It's, I almost wouldn't say nothing, but like just chill on a beach. Well, it's yeah. I, like, I can do that for a day, maybe, maybe two days. And then I'm like, I got to go do something. Right. I can't do this anymore. Um, I was in Tulum earlier this year and it it was actually cool despite, you know, me all uh, getting to Tulum and then noticing like all the migrant workers in the Airbnb neighborhood and talking to those guys. I'm not trying. So I just got like a feeling that I was virtue signaling for a minute there. Yo, I go to places and I talk to all the workers. That's not what I'm I trying to say. Because I talk to the workers while I ride the cruise. <laughs> yeah, fuck. God, I hope that doesn't come off like that. Um, sorry. Or left leaning, I mean. Well, no, I'm, I don't know what lean just, I have. Um, no, it's just, I just want to know uh, what's going on. And I can still yeah. get drunk on the beach and have a great time. Um, but I like to know what the other people around me are doing too. And talking to locals is a whole nother thing that it makes trips more enjoyable and more yeah. memorable and not just doing the touristy thing and asking them yeah, where the spots are. Not so just, self-conscious realizing that I'm talking about this on a podcast. What? And that I, I'm talking about being cool with 
like locals. And I'm it's, I'm just trying to catch myself because I'm like, fuck, why? I just am not trying to like, I don't know. I'm not virtue. I'm not virtue signaling. I'm not virtue signaling. <laughs> I'm not even taking it like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. You can edit this out if you want. No, I um, won't. <laughs> um, I, I think, I think there's some sim- traveling is also amazing. That's another reason why we chose to homeschool our kids. Yeah. We want to make sure they're in every single social opportunity they can. Cause we mm-hmm. all know it's just living mindfully kids. This is but, what we're um, trying to get at. Yes. And, tra- and that's even going back to the TV show we were trying to make. Yeah. Totally. It was like the travel element and learning how people live around the world. And it gives you a sense of, um, appreciation for what you do have and it also incorporating humanitarian things in that mm-hmm. and i have a buddy of mine that took his kids on humanitarian trips and like what those kids have become just changes them and oh my god i feel like it's so great for kids and there's so much they can learn and then as us as people whatever you can do and sometimes yeah, yeah you can't afford to go super far yeah or do all this so you can save for a couple years and then go do it but not just getting a tourist trap and going out there no. and doing and um, not being too afraid either yeah. to try new things. And I've definitely been pushed on trips and been afraid for my life a couple <laughs> times, like oh, guns yeah. held on me kind of stuff. But is still, there any one experience that like you feel you should tell? I mean, there's people <laughs> with crazier ones, of course, but I mean, but one of the ones you. that was interesting was we were in, Zambia and someone had messed up our travel out of Zambia and booked it out of Zimbabwe, which is a different country. <laughs> so we show up to the Zambia airport the way they told us to do the local company that booked all our stuff. And they're like, Oh, you're in the wrong airport. You got to get in a cab, go. It's not very far. You just got to go to a different country, but it's, a, you can drive to it and you might be able to make the flight in time. We're like, okay, cool. Um, luckily I had some US dollars on me. Yeah. And it was with two other buddies and we, it was a work trip and we, so we get our luggage, we get in this cab and we're like, can you take us to this airport in Zambia or Zimbabwe? And we, I, I might, I gave him a 20 a 50. I don't know. I know I had like five, 600 bucks on me. Mm-hmm. And by the end of this whole thing, it was all gone. <laughs> um, so then he takes us over the border, but right when we get over the border, we go to this shady off road and we're like, Oh crap. Wait, was crossing the border no problem? Um, actually, no, sorry. We haven't crossed yet. Sorry. Mm. We just got out of the airport. We go to the shady area, and he just has to get gas, we find out. Mm. But like, we were kind of freaking out. Like, no, dude, we need you to go. We were kind of getting a little bit concerned, and he didn't speak our language. And he obviously, he would, then we figured out he just gets gas. He doesn't drive around with a full tank all day. Yeah. He gets gas as needed kind of thing. So, okay, that hurdle gone. We get past <laughs> that. We keep going, but we're in a hurry. We get to the border. And it's a demilitarized zone, and there's guys with um, like AKs and um, in fatigues. And then we find out, okay, we need to get some sort of visa or um, something to get in the country. We don't know what it is. I just gave like somebody like a hundred US, mm. and sure enough, that they worked. didn't ask any more questions, and we got right through. <laughs> like, okay, great. Yeah. And we get across, and sure enough, in that process, then they see all this gear, pelicans, all this stuff, oh, and God. luckily. I had my assistant at that time. I didn't have a carne. I was traveling without one at that time, yeah. but I had Tell pelicans, which was stupid. Is. A carne is a list. It's, it's all your gear listed out. Yeah. Yes. And it has to be bonded and you have to list the values and the serial numbers. So when you leave a country, um, you haven't sold or gained yes, any other Yes, officials gear. look at it and they look 
at every item or just one item or none and they just sign it and say, you left with all this gear, you get in a new country, you came in with all this gear when you leave that said country, you left again, you re-import, re-export. And by the, by the end of the trip, you are in full possession of your equipment that you had from the beginning and you didn't buy or sell anything new yeah. to where someone gets some tax money on basically. So I was traveling without one when you can choose not to. In our line of work, if you have a, a low enough amount of gear, it's almost easier to not have one. Yeah. But I've learned if you're going to do that, you can't have a bunch of pelicans. No. So pelicans scream that you have money. So I had pelicans and luckily I had this list and it looked kind of official. Yeah. So this guy took into some back area, came back out and he stamped it. I'm like, I don't even know what happened. We keep going in that process. My buddy's camera gets stolen. We find out oh later. Yeah. Which we're fortunate that, that was the only was thing. It? Luckily it was just a 500 DSLR. I probably oh, okay. had 20 to to forty thousand dollars worth of gear in my bags that didn't yeah. get touched, but I was anal about keeping them on my side the whole time. When yep. some cab driver wanted to take them and load, I'm like, no, I'll load it myself. I've learned that one, and so we get in, we get going. He didn't even know his camera stolen at the time. We just kept driving, and then I feel like through the lay, I'm just tipping people to get us from A to B the whole time. We get there to the airport, we get in line, and the lady is like, sorry. The flight's already boarded. You can't get on. But like we see it on the tarmac right out there. It's a small airport. And so I must have gave her my last hundred bucks or something. And sure enough, get right on the plane <laughs> and we're out of there. But through that, through the, I, I skipped over some stuff. But in the DL yeah. tri zone, we were waiting a while with guys with AKs. Some people took some gear. We were trying to keep it in our line of sight. And it was just a little bit, you know, language yeah. issues. TIA. So that one was a little <laughs> bit crazy. That one was stressful, um, especially because it was someone's poor planning, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I feel but, I feel like um, if you haven't been to Africa and India specifically, oh my God, India, oh. um, that like you just you haven't traveled. No, like those places. I, I remember going to India and then coming back and then going to Europe. And I was in Spain, and there was some white girl at some train station in uh, Madrid, like somewhere in Madrid crying yelling at the attendant that they didn't speak english and we're at a we're at an international train station shouldn't you know english and it's just like right there i'm like there's the difference yeah like you go to india and you never worry again about trying to get around in foreign countries <laughs> because it's humbling too i think it grounds people i mean it's yeah yeah it's totally humbling. again I, I i do i do enjoy it and i want my kids to i can't wait to go it. back but i also hate it <laughs> I, I I would be fine not going to India again. I'll really? be honest. Though I mean, I think it's, it's so good to do. I'll probably take my kids someday. It's so vast. Also, I've only gone to India working. Yeah, same. and I have gear and issues getting in and out. And of course, um, it's just it's a struggle and a lot of sleepless nights. I associate because that's usually towards the end of those trips. And also, we're going to like Varanasi, which a couple times, and it's just uh, it's a tough place to be. Yeah, it's it's. It's very strange. I've been in the nicer parts of India, and that's at least feels a little bit different. But um, yeah, it has a whole smell when you get off the plane to oh, everything. It's, it's just crazy. Culture shock in every sense of the big word. Big time, big time. Sense shock, hearing, smell, everything. And inevitably, I always used to get sick. And, and like, do you ever get sick when you are working while you travel? Um, only a few times. And one time I did get in India, but it wasn't too bad. My worst was probably in Thailand, just like a flu thing. Mm. Um, but while I had to like run a camera all day and edit at night and I have this flu, it was miserable. 
But um, no, I've been pretty good. I, I stick to certain foods mm. I've learned. I bring some of my own. Mm-hmm. Um, some countries, it's hard to bring your own in. Um, but like I was just in Cambodia and I was really strict because I couldn't afford to get sick. I'm the only shooter, editor, producer there. Sure. And I bring these almond butter packets and the this grass-fed beef jerky. Um, I kind of like... Um, oh, that's not... Yeah, those are almond butter. Yes, Justin's are good, and I get another one. RX bars. RX has a brand of mm-hmm. just almond butter you can just squeeze, so I can get a couple hundred <laughs> calories in here and there. And, uh, and then I I focus on like you know well cooked eggs in the right place mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I no street food ever. There's certain things I just don't do. You know we're yeah. not doing Anthony Bourdain here. I don't know. Like I just, just don't touch street food. Um, don't touch dairy pretty much at all. Mm-hmm. Don't you know my, really strict on what water I drink and try and stick to at least and I always lose weight because I yeah. just can't find the right stuff but even when they make these big spreads for this whole group of people and it's mm-hmm. catered and super nice I'm even picky and I love meat and I'll be like I, I don't even want to risk it really like, yeah sometimes oh, man. now sometimes I don't depends on what it is and how I feel about the moment but there's been yeah. there's been times where I'm like something doesn't look right mm-hmm. where are we what's going on I can't risk it and it's it, and, but if it's a local cuisine or it's something like there's some risk you do take because you want to try it and it's sure. And, but like I can't afford to get sick. Like I, I can't be out or yeah, the I job I was brought to do, I can't do. <clears throat> I don't know what it is, but um, I mean, you have to develop um, some sort of stomach immunity. And like I had Jardia when I was a kid, uh, which is a waterborne illness, parasite. And I don't know if that helped, but like I can eat pretty much a lot of things whenever I've traveled and worked and not have any troubles. Right. The trouble comes from not being acclimated to getting enough sleep, uh, to recharge from running around with right. And your immune systems down 30, 40 pounds of camera gear. Yeah. And then my immune system goes down and then I develop, um, some sort of uh, upper respiratory infection hmm. and that turns into like a bronchial infection. Wow. And then by the time I come back, like this happened in India and Cambodia. Uh, I was down for a month, you know, wow. coughing up giant egg yolks of phlegm. See, I haven't had that. Not to be graphic. Oh. But um, yeah, no, I know. But now it's like I feel it coming on too. So like even um, this summer when I was running around D.C. and like running around the week before and then going to D.C. and not sleeping much and you know, hanging out some nights and, and maybe having a few drinks and then waking up super early and just being, you know, just having a constant baseline of stress by the end of that trip where I unexpectedly was in New York, I started to feel it come on. So this had been two weeks of high stress ordeal and nonstop travel and nonstop action. And I felt like that old familiar, like tickle in Mm -hmm. my throat. And I knew that like, okay, go back home and I just came came home from St. Louis and didn't do shit for probably that next three, four or five days uh, and then get sick. But you know, I, I, it's, I'm always curious as to how people experience sickness when they're working hard overseas. I I try to just not do whatever I can, but yeah, luckily I I think either I I can stomach some things though, obviously. Um, yeah, my body tends to go into some kind of mode Mm -hmm. and maybe that's why I can do some of this. To where I don't on the trip really. I, I push through to the end, and usually the end is where it's the toughest. It builds, and sometimes yeah. I'll, like in in Peru just recently, I was there for like a week, and I just scheduled myself to get four hours sleep a night, so I didn't have to do an all nighter. Oh my god! And I just set my alarms and just do it. Were you it hiking? 
and some of it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Like Machu Picchu. Yeah. I did Wano Picchu and oh, okay. Machu Picchu and then did some, uh, other little hiking kind of climbing things. That's so physically demanding when you're also carrying the camera. Yes. <laughs> and sometimes two, but I've learned, you know, sometimes GoPros can be your best friend. They've gotten a little better. And sometimes I have a full gimbal with like a DSLR and mm-hmm. depends on what it is. But, um, yeah, my body tends to sh- uh, like shut down when I get home, I'll get home and uh, what'll happen. Just, I'll just, I'll need to get like a good, uh, my wife is, you know, hours. I, let me at least that first day get extra sleep and I'll get a good 10 hours at least. 10 hours, yeah. And then the next day I'm the one waking up at six in the morning with the kids and I, I love doing it. So mm-hmm. I enjoy it. It gives her a break, but, um, yeah, uh, my body will kind of acclimate once I get home. Kind of, it knows it, I've trained it in some way to like, do you get jet lag anymore? No, I don't either. No. Isn't I've, that crazy? I definitely know how to train myself little things on like, immediately know where you're going and what time mm. it is and sometimes forcing yourself on the plane to start getting on yeah. that time zone and yeah. that means pushing through like literally drinking coffee when you're tired the pushing push through, through is the most important yes I think. pushing through when you land is number one key now yeah. if i'm on a plane and i'm tired i'll just sleep i'll just learn but when you land and it's six in the morning in australia yeah you and stay you're up tired, until night. you do not go to sleep. You right. cannot take a nap. You <laughs> will regret it. And yeah. I've made that, like just last year, I go to Australia every year, but just last year, my last, not like yeah, 2018, I did that. I was stupid. Yeah. And then like, it took me five days to get acclimated. If you just push through, Dude, you're good. I re- and coming back too, I feel like it's been, uh, going I, is kind of really easy now, but coming back, if you do fall into that old habit, you uh it, it lasts for a long time yes like almost two weeks yes sometimes yes you're like fuck i'm still tired <laughs> yep but no um kids kids will change a lot of stuff too we didn't get much yeah. on kids stuff but like it's made me into a morning person it's um it made me when i get home like i don't have that time but mm-hmm. nor do i want it like i don't yeah i want to see them i want to hang out with them so i don't like i don't have like you're talking about boredom or like, I don't really have any of that because the kids will feel that. And I just enjoy it. So like when I come home, it's not like, Oh, I can rest for a few days. It's just that I don't have to edit something sure. or whatever. And sometimes I do, but how are you fitting in the reading that you've taken on recently with all the, I incorporate into my travel a lot of it. Like okay. even when I took, I had a little sabbatical this year, mm-hmm. a lot less reading went on because I was like, I'm going to fill the time with the kids. I'm not going to like take time away from them. Sure. How um, long was that? I did seven weeks home. Wow. Seven weeks with of the, no with work. Family. Yeah, and then the eighth week was vacation with the family. Now I, I can't you say going no insane? work. I definitely did. I was doing some <laughs> consulting, and uh, I was working on a big project um, with the Reagan Library that is a span over like the year. So I mm-hmm. still had to like follow up on some things. But no, I literally did not do much work. Like that's awesome. It was it was the first time ever that I've been yeah. home for that long of a stretch. A mm-hmm. in the, probably the last twelve years. And then be that I can like discipline myself. And I even put myself through working out every day. I haven't been able to do that in that long of a stretch. Or uh, I did like no media at night unless I was with my wife and we were watching something. Mm. But I didn't, um, I like went to bed at normal times, woke up early. I got some reading time in, in the mornings actually what? a little bit, but not like nearly like I can knock out a lot more when I'm traveling on a plane and I wake up early. And if my call time or whatever isn't, I can knock out two hours of reading, you know, in my hotel yeah. room or something. How much were you sleeping during that time, like per night? Oh, like eight hours a night, probably. Okay, yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I was doing good, like seven probably at least. But and then what? What would you say is your normal nightly now, and when you're just typically working and traveling and doing all this stuff that you do? I've gotten better. 
So yeah. it's, I, it probably used to be more like six, but I think I've been, I've been pushing seven or so. That's good. But when I'm really in the grind and like working on site, it's not, it is lower. Yeah. Um, it, it also depends on so much of what we do. We work all day. You want to at least hang out, have a drink, talk to people. That's sure. where you like decompress and debrief. And that's even my outlet. Like when I'm with the family, a lot of times, cause there's, there's not a lot of time. Like I don't feel the need to go out to bars or do mm-hmm. much. I'm more just like, it's all family. Yeah. And I enjoy that time. So I don't have the need. Maybe I'll go play a game of golf here every once in a while, but like You're three times now? a year. What? You're golfing now? I've been, I've, I've, I golfed through uh, high school. I was on the golf oh, team. That's and right. But like, I'm only like four times a year, like okay. here and there yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll go. But, Same. um, but yeah, on the road, it's, it's a little less and sometimes it gets bad. Like I said, I'll have to do four hours a night, but I've been pretty good about, but you don't do all nighters anymore. That is my goal, but no, <laughs> I did have to do in New Zealand, which was crazy talking about software a little bit. The company I did some work for is a buddy of mine's company and they use Final Cut Pro and I use Premiere, hmm. but I, has everybody pretty much progress, uh, progressed over to Premiere? Most the pros I work with. Yeah. Yes. Because Some for a long time, don't. everybody was using Final Cut Pro. Yeah, and then it went Cut. to X. Yeah, I stopped at X. Yeah. I used 7 most probably too did. long. Yeah, they moved. And there's some amazing things in X that I just... This was the first time I used it this year. Mm-hmm. I've pushed myself to do this project in it so they could re-edit and do things later. They had an internal video production team. So I wanted them to be able to use, use my sequence later. And so I just pushed myself to do it. It kind of took on the challenge. They even said once I got there, I was like, okay, you can use Premiere. We'll figure it out. I was like, no, I'm going to do this thing. And because of that, the learning curve pushed me to have to do some pretty much almost two all-nighters straight. And it was oh it God. was rough. Um, I try I really I've been really good about not doing that. It's rare that I have to do that. Yeah. It got bad for a while. I even had to do it at home. Did you use anything? I had to do all nighters like once a week. To stay awake? Um, no. Never like Adderall or anything no, like that. Never That's touch good. any of that stuff. Yeah, me neither. Only <laughs> only coffee. And I don't even do Red Bulls or any energy drinks anymore. I I really try and pretty much don't touch sugar anymore, but, um, any of that sweet stuff. But yeah, um, I used to do them like almost, almost like once a week I did it all nighter and it, it could have shaved years off my life. Um, especially when I was going through the major grind of a lot of work in St. Louis, a lot of work out of town and hopping back and forth. And I put an end to that and uh, yes, my life is much better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's cool that there is a larger societal shift towards, uh, respecting sleep instead yes. of like, yeah, I barely, uh, I got like three hours last night. I'm good to yeah. go then. Like, I never understood that because I just couldn't function with less than seven hours. Like, okay, I could function with less, but like doing it two nights in a row, it was like, I'm really starting to feel it, you know? <laughs> and I'm just moving slower. Yeah. And I, I always remember like, oh, sleep when you're dead. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. And then, no, I can't do that. I never pulled an all night. I think I pulled one all-nighter in college really yeah and then uh maybe like right the night before some big design thesis was due and then professionally i've never pulled an all-nighter i've never been like like which i i feel like a pussy (laughs) (laughs) but i've never had had 50 hour like work sessions 50 54 what's the most you've ever stayed awake in one go oh it's it's somewhere between 50 and 60. Okay. Probably in that mid-50s. Yeah. Maybe. I've done 60. 
I, not I'm working. Trying to think. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, mine was only because of work. I don't think why I would do it not because of work, but I yeah. felt insane at the end of it. <laughs> mine was just pure staying up the night before international travel and then staying up all through the travel and then getting to where I was going and staying up all day mm-hmm. into the night. <laughs> Gosh. No, I don't think I've, I mean, I've probably pushed 60 on a couple times, but, um, you feel insane at the end of it. Like, I think you, you start to actually, loopiness. Yeah. yeah, your brain is functioning. I, yeah, there's one fresh in my mind. Cause I just, like I said, I did it over the summer in New Zealand and it was kind of re- weird, but then you get a whole new level of energy, even without coffee. It's really strange. Right. Um, and then I just crash and there's been a couple times where I've, it's just wind. I remember one time I did it in India and on the way back, I like literally slept the whole 15 hour flight, like <laughs> knocked out unconscious. Like, oh man. And then another time I was in Thailand, I did it. That's when I did like a 50 something. And then we stayed an extra day or two, mm-hmm. but I totally like, I don't know. I didn't have my phone on or something. I went to bed, woke up and it was still dark. I was so confused and I had slept the full day into the next night. And that's why, like, I thought I'd barely oh had slept, God. but I had, and it was weird. And I called <laughs> it like, where have you been all day? I was like, I don't know. What day is it? Like, <laughs> really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so what's, uh, yeah. what is your professional landscape looking like as you, you know, I know you're interested in doing like product development, product design potentially, or some other forms of recurring income. Um, yeah. Is that taking over more of your time yet? Or you're still kind of like plotting it out a little bit? I'm still rethinking some things. Like I've had my website blacked out for Mm -hmm. almost a year now, but like I'm still taking on work and new clients through referrals and even networking and bidding on things. But um, the site just and the branding wasn't set up right. And I don't want to, I want to make sure it's right. Mm -hmm. So I'm rethinking that a little bit and maybe even starting another company that does, um, yeah, content development and partnering with people to develop their content. I've I've learned is, a lot over the years on uh, helping people develop content to uh, a way for you know other people to to consume uh, as far as their clients and whatnot. Is and, client work losing a little bit of lure at all? Um, Are you still just like no? But there's an element of I feel like my skill sets have been honed a little bit more. That like I kind of want to have some skin in the game somehow. Like you know, partnering up with people doing mm-hmm. all the production for free, but owning a piece of what I'm developing. Yeah, 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 I get you. Um, Smart. But I'm still interested in, in client work and will be doing it. It's just um, being selective with some of that, you know, some of that grind mm-hmm. um, on smaller projects that you realize, like I said earlier, you're eating all this time up in emails and back and forth. But I do have a, a small little staff or some contractors that either I'll fully just give to them. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I've learned, like trying to be a middleman and there's enough work to go around. I just fully give projects to people that I know can be right. And I know the person that came to me, I can, I, I, my name, you know, like the fact that I referred someone else yeah. is going to be a good fit. If I can't find a good fit, I'll just say no. But most of the time I can, or I'll take it on, but just kind of produce and sure. not... Um, make sure it all goes smooth, but not be there on the shoot or mm-hmm. not do a ton of the post-production. Um, so still finding a way to uh, meet the client's outcomes and produce something nice for them. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of pursuing the next level yeah. of, of development and where I, where I want to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, and I might, I'm still going to have Deco as my company, but I might even start another one just to not confuse the two brands. I'm still kind of rethinking some things. And I have some names and some stuff I bought, but yeah, I was going to develop all of that during those seven weeks I had home. And I'm just like, no, I need to slow down, spend some time with the family. So I'm just kind of coming out of that. But 
I mean, what are you're 34? Yes, I had to think about that. I think yes. That's also we should probably should have said that way earlier <laughs> because I feel like you talk as if you're like 44. You know? Yeah, I get that a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, all the sleep that has shaved or the lack of sleep that shaved years off of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Having kids will do that too, which is something. Well, that yeah, you which haven't, I haven't some had some of yet your other that I know of. of. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, mom. <laughs> One in every port. Um, yeah, I'm, I guarantee it has. I, I understand that. Yeah, but yeah, so I'm I'm excited about new things, but I'm also not rushing to it. Like, yeah, I got I got really amped up and I wanted to do a whole bunch, and I'm I'm learning to just to um, I have a lot of good things going. I'm not trying to like change things up majorly, but I'm looking forward to the next thing and kind of like I said, partnering a lot more with people. I'm I think I've come to a level of maturity to not just like, hey, someone needs a video, I can help them make that happen, and I'll still do that. Yeah, but like going to the next level of like, okay. You know, let's, you know, if it's someone that is a is an expert at something, helping them develop their expertise into mm-hmm. some sort of form that either people will pay for or consume for free, yeah. but on a mass level. And that's kind of the next level. And I have, I have a passion for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurship. And I've been very fortunate to hear some of the best speakers in the world on, on all my travels. Yeah, no doubt. Um, like, I feel like I'm always pinging you for like, man, I need you to give me some investment advice. Like, what do you know now? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. And that's the cool thing about even some of the other clients that bring in all kinds of speakers. Like, yeah. Um, uh, like I got to see a couple people before they were big and I didn't even realize like that. I got names to, or, well, I saw Gary, uh, Gary V's come up too much for how little I actually <laughs> listen to him. I saw him super early on because a real really? estate company brought him in and that same real estate, uh, company brought in Goggins years ago. And oh, I didn't even know, who he was. That's the first time I ever heard of him was that speech. And then I looked into him and I, of course I love his How book. long ago was that? <sighs> Maybe four years ago. What was that like? What did he, what well, did he one, say to he a bunch kinda, of like I mean, real I'm estate people? I'm used to F words, of course, through yeah. some of my clients, but I didn't like this guy's energy was different, especially at this event. Cause some of these events it. don't <laughs> have that language in it. Cause they have to be PC cause they have real estate agents oh, from yeah. around the world. And this guy didn't care. No. I dug him so much and his energy and his passion and his story was very compelling. And he had yeah. some, you know, he didn't have slides. He might've had a picture of when he weighed like 300 and some pounds or whatever. And he, it's just a lot of the, a lot of stuff that was in the book, yeah. which the book is like, he became a public speaker Excellent. and developed it's it. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, and then different people in the financial world and presidents. Mm-hmm. There's some really small groups of um, three, four hundred people they bring in. Um, you know, like from Bush to Clinton to a few other people that have run. But did he major agencies and things? And I've gotten to see all these different speakers in so many different realms. That's did Goggins cool. have like a uh, root, like a speech? Prepared? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he had a talk, and it, like I said, there's a good chunk of his book. It's uh, can't hurt me is that his book can't hurt me can't yeah. hurt me yeah my that it's covered my in there. favorite yeah nonfiction book this that i've read this year it's one of my f- uh, favorites um there's another one that says play bigger that i liked it was more business focused and mm. there was another one i really liked this year oh peterson's 12 rules for life or whatever yeah peterson's. but um yeah goggins it was just a his book goes way deeper but it was an extension mm. of what his book kind of covered yeah from seals to um Maybe he was coming up with wait. like the outline for his yeah, book. It totally could have been, or I, yeah, it was, but it was cool to see some of these speakers beforehand. So yeah, I've been f- very fortunate that still in some of this, you know, whether it's the most corporate boring event, they'll bring in some, even some cool people. bands or 
um, and really interesting people. And yeah, I, I can't lie that I take notes here and there and like something good's happening. I'll well, take some course. personal notes, but, um, what I find in- my brain's even expanded through this. I learn I can sure. communicate better with people or relate to them. And there's osmosis kind of happens. That's such a huge part of it too. Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of maybe one of the things that we forgot to even discuss is that being, you know, <laughs> to revert back to when I was talking about walking around to the departments at mm-hmm. the organization that we worked at, um, I started to develop the ability to talk to people. And that's something that's kind of like an endangered uh, ability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they only know how to talk to people through electronic devices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yo, do you, do you remember how to connect with people one on one? Yeah. That I think is probably the most undervalued gift of an entrepreneur. And, and that, that all stems, you know, from empathy. Right. But like, how do you have a meaningful conversation with someone? And it's not going to come natural. I mean, I, I was no, an no, extreme no. introvert and it was very hard for me. And some of it I had to be forced to because I, I had to represent my business and I had yeah. to expand and had mentors and business partners at times that like pushed me to that. Sure. But it is a huge part You've of bloomed it. bloomed beautifully. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and there's an element too of the social end of that as well. Yeah. What kind of business deals go down and just some basic hanging out, networking, dinner. Well, I mean, isn't that kind of caps. like the whole uh, stereotype of like the salesman bringing in the business and like the pissed off engineer or developer or whatever yeah. have you that doesn't do any sort of the sales work being like, how come they get paid so much more? It's like, well, they're bringing the work in that the company actually does. <laughs> or their paid percentage and... Right. They have some skin in the game. I mean, to yeah. make it work. Well, and it's all, you know, the I, I've always felt the most dangerous salespeople are the ones that maybe started off as the people actually putting the nuts and bolts together. So if you, if you pair some sort of charisma or moxie with an actual technical know-how, then you're kind of unstoppable in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, a, you know, I think that, that uh, going back to like, going to college and like having oral communications 101 and doing yeah. public speaking. Like those were some terrifying moments, but that helped me to be in a band and the band helped me to realize how to lose fear in front mm-hmm. of groups. Yeah. And then being in the job taught me how to talk to people one-on-one right. for no gain. Right. You know, like literally to enjoy talking to people. Right. And in doing, I mean, that's even the, some of the Goggin stuff of like, that was all different yeah. painful things and it's not going to come super fast and be perfect. Oh, each that's time. my favorite part. But you push through it and you keep going and some of those pain isn't physical, but it yeah. is emotional stress and pain. I, I mean, I remember some, it was very awkward and uncomfortable and super out of my comfort zone. And it was just so tough to do different elements of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it also has gotten me to where I am to where, you know, like I can, you know, have a different mindset on business sure. and where things are going in the future just because you like push through all those little things. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, I would love to see, I would love to meet Goggins someday. Uh, I've just been following him ever since I read born to run, which is kind of this paradigm shifting book on running mm-hmm. that kind of popularized the Vibram shoes, the flat, the, mm-hmm. the five finger shoes. Right. Um, and then I just started paying attention to ultra runners and then Goggins came out and he didn't have any sort of social media presence whatsoever. Right. <laughs> and I'm just like, he just looks like uh, a shadow wraith, just this bald black dude that's ripped as fuck. And like, you d- you just saw his, I just remember this one photo of him and I'm like, 
I don't know this guy, but I think I found my hero. <laughs> That's what, in the social media presence thing, like the people that are sincere, yeah, that have tons of followers, even like Cam Haynes, mm-hmm. who's, he's an ultra marathon runner. He's a yeah, bow runner. Oh, yeah. I, I've only familiarized myself with him because he's been on Rogan a few times. Mm-hmm he still has a nine to five like yeah. and he's a normal dude and he's i don't know he's got hundreds of thousands of followers i think or right around 100 i don't know he's sure. on instagram but like he's sincere about it all and goggins is too though he's not a sincere like he's a you know yeah he's I think, a very intense person but like i don't his motive he's motivated by different things he's not just yeah. money or fame or even i guess he wants to help people but like he's just I don't know. He's driven there, by something different. There is an element of, um, I guess you would call it selfishness, but it's in the pursuit of attaining something higher, you know? And it's like, that's what is fascinating. Like people like David Goggins and Cam Haynes that run a marathon every day or whatever, or every other mm-hmm. day, like that's kind of inherently selfish to spend two to three <laughs> hours a day. Yeah. That's just a good point. Doing your workout. Yeah. But that's also the whole reason why people pay attention to them. Yeah. Like mountain climbing. Uh, there, it is inherently selfish. Like you're literally climbing for yourself uh, to achieve a elevated state. Once you're able to do something you weren't prior, you weren't True. able to do prior. But at the same time, there is this leading by um, example and you, you have a greater understanding of how you're supposed to live the rest of your life. You know, these guys that are great climbers, like Tommy Caldwell, they're also great, like, family people as well. Right. And so it, it is a balance of saying, okay, how much time can I devote to what is my passion? And then how much time can I devote to what is my new passion of my family? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, a, it's a balancing act. And even right. in, and your, even, yeah. in, your, in your situation as well, it's no different. You know, you may not be running a literal marathon every day, but like you are in your own way. And I think that's how people can connect with those, those, right. those, uh, you know, whatever you would call them. Right. And you can get inspired by it. And of course. Yeah. And I always, but they're also, even, sorry. No, go ahead. The thing that I liked most about David Goggins book is that he, I don't want to be him. I know. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that he, um, I think he's even admitting that he is a in process person and he may have this idea of like, you know, killing it and, and, and uh, elevating himself to the highest physical abilities every single day of his life. But I think it, there's an awareness that like he's been divorced a couple times now and like, he doesn't necessarily have, interpersonal skills. Right. And he's trying to figure that out. And I think that I identify with that, like these people that aren't perfect or maybe have right. non-politically correct ideas about things. And it's like, cool. Like they aware, they're aware of that, but it doesn't define them, you know? Right. I think there's a, back to kind of a, a little bit where you, we were kind of talking about, I guess it's passions and what makes you and, you know, it's not just work-life balance, but it's more even just like kind of thinking about, like you said, oh, the rock climber guy you're talking about. And like, you know, 
adding family and becoming incorporating that into everything you do too. And I think it even goes beyond that. And then easy, like the next level you see people that, you know, they have all those things and they're still struggling. They have the business and they're still struggling. And then there's like a whole new world of like, you know, um, humanitarian or compassion or spirituality. Mm. And like, there's always continuing growth. And I think that's something that you see in all these people. They're always trying to push themselves and grow. And the people that are just full on in one thing, I think fizzle out in some way. Like, yeah. I feel like we're all in a constant state of growth and that's good to have. And nothing is fully ever figured out. Never. And the person that says they have it figured out yeah. does not. No. And that's what, that's when alarming sign, you know, sounds <laughs> can go off. Like you might, yeah, it's a little dangerous to put yourself in that mindset. Definitely. I, you know, I think humility is key to everything that I try to do and yet confident you know i think that's uh mm-hmm. I, I, it's important to have confidence too it's it's a weird humility and confidence and balancing that is such a strange place to be right. because i've always been the self-deprecating mindset like um i suck but i still can do some things right you know and it's hard to like communicate like okay i am good at some things and it doesn't mean that I'm a dickhead when I say that. <laughs> right. No, it's, and that takes some skill too. And it time. does. Like, it's a hard thing to like, this stuff comes quick. Now that I think no, about it, nothing we does. talk about, but no, yeah, the right sense. And still sometimes you check yourself, you, you like humble people. I think you still are like, Oh, you know, am I being too humble? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. And it's hard for me to take even praise sometimes from like clients. I don't even know how oh, it's so it. awkward. Like if someone even says from the stage or something in front of a bunch of people, how yeah. great that video was, or, you know, and some in emails, it's easier because you're not in front of people, but it's just hard. You're like, I don't want to stand up. I don't want to, right. you know, like I, I made this, you know, to I'm behind the scenes. Like, I don't want to be in front of anybody. That's why I made, that's why I chose this line of work. Sure. Um, but I've definitely gone through the opposite of that with this past summer and saying like, okay, I'm going to accept it and run with it. And it's funny what happens when you do that is that people see it and you know, a, a, a small little case study from this summer of being nationally acknowledged, you know, or whatever you want to fucking call it, is that people that have nothing in common with the current administration have seen it and people I've known since I've owned my company. And now they're like, you know what? I do need to uh, do some work with you. <laughs> so Why like, do you think that is? Because they see it. They see that it's successful in okay. some way that doesn't matter if they agree with it or not. Whether just the fact that someone on a large that it's scale doing has something acknowledged it. Yes. Okay. That it hasn't that I haven't stopped doing something. Right. And that they're like, hey, regardless, it's making waves and I need to be a part right. of that wave. And that's somewhere in social media why at least putting a post why it's here important and there, to let other people like, know. Hey, what's I'm going in on. Peru, whatever, or hey, I'm here. Yeah. And that's why I've kind of at least I do a few things. But yeah, that's that's interesting point that like it keeps you fresh in people's mind and the fact that you did something so legit, which I think is awesome in every step of the way what you do in that. I was cheering and loving it and I think it's so <laughs> awesome. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, um, it, I think it's a balance between being prolific and that means in your work and within your awareness and then also going through some periods where you don't need to tell everybody what you're doing. 
you know, I think there's a good balance, like keeping mystery. You know, how yeah. do you maintain mystery? Right. Is by not telling everybody right. what you're doing all the time. <laughs> right. And then you can have converse, things to save for conversations. and Exactly. Like you're not, you're not interesting li- lifting people. up your skirt for the world to see right. what, 24-7. You're not constantly sharing to your Instagram right. story. That is something that I've noticed that you say that, yeah, when I do get in conversation with people, they do have a lot of questions. Right. And are very intrigued by what I do. And even the Kiki and Phoebe story and some of that stuff, there is some element of... Well, yeah. you've done something that somebody, has, not everybody has ever done before. Right. And it's interesting to hear about. And it did, you know, like you did get paid for it, basically. Yeah. Yes, we did get paid. And yeah, it, it, in some ways, financially, I th- we didn't lose money. Right. Yeah. You're not, made neither some, of you yeah. are still in debt from it. No. Which is the important no. part. No. But you got the whole time thing and all that and, you know, like the crushing blow. Like yeah. there's still repercussions of that, I feel like. But of no, what? Yeah. Of that failure. Oh, okay. Even though maybe it wasn't on our own fault. It yeah. wasn't like a financial failure, but we weren't going, we weren't doing it for financial. We wanted to support families based sure. off it. But um, it was bigger than that to us at that time. But I mean, those always make you stronger and totally. I, I've, and knowing both of you and Chad individually, I think you've become even better versions of yourself because of that. Oh, totally. And it's, uh, it's been, it's been very interesting to just see you both become great guys, you know, since that quote unquote failure. Right. And what is it? I mean, <laughs> fail through it. <laughs> was that a saying i don't know just when you fail you go through it and you i don't know i feel like you working on are you working that. on your speaker uh i feel like someone already owns that <laughs> fail through it <laughs> fail harder that's definitely something oh uh, well yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's so many more topics we can talk about i know but we should probably save some for the next at? time and yeah. you uh you're only in town for what like three more hours even no, though you just got uh, here, <laughs> I got a flight tomorrow. So, yeah, I got um, six more hours. Six. Wait. Wait. What? No. no sorry. 16. Not six more hours. <laughs> eighteen hours. Eighteen more hours. Flight leaves in eighteen hours. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, where can people find you if they um, wanted to? They can't. No, they can. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know what? That's another question I need to ask. I have a good friend who's good at um, logos uh-huh. and some marketing stuff and websites. I might hit, hit up him. Who, me? Yeah. <laughs> some there. questions on what I should do with my branding. Um, no. Um, I told you, don't care about it. Don't let it control <laughs> you and be interesting. I know. I'll, I'll get a side <laughs> up here once I figure a few things out where I'm going next. But um, no, I, I'm on Instagram. I think that's the, where uh, that's the best way. How do you not have a YouTube channel? I just don't because I don't. I mean, out of everybody that I know, you would actually have the most interesting YouTube channel that there would be. Probably, and I've thought about somehow incorporating my travels yeah. into a channel or a vlog, but like, well, I, honestly, I'm focused on my work so much while I'm there, like doing anything for myself is hard to do. I feel like vlogging is done. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that, it, like, I don't watch yeah. any vlogs anymore. They have some value, but I don't watch many of them. I think um, it was a growth period in the age of internet content, right. and I just like, I don't care about these people's supposedly awesome lives. No, I, I even struggle with some of the great ones watching yeah. them all the way through. And, uh, there's a couple, my kids like one a lot and there's tell me it's not that little I'm, kid that opens up those fucking eggs. 
No. Of toys. No, I don't want to watch that stuff. <laughs> it's about travel. I mean, okay, good cool. Yeah. Family that travels. <laughs> um, but, uh, what we're we talking about? Oh, YouTube. I, I, and I'm toying around with some kind of idea around some well, of that as well. Well, you have such a good technical background um, to it. And I think that like the knowledge that you have, and I, we, I know we've discussed this a bit, but uh, kind of um, pulling back the covers on technical know-how and trying to do some things and and oh, make, like making my knowledge industry. accessible. Yeah. I feel like there's just so much of that out there. There is. There Maybe yeah. there's some niche or nuance. And I've, I've thought about it, but like in some ways... I, I guess now I'm taking in the question like, do I see myself wanting to do this for a decade, whatever this is I'm about to start? Sure. And if the answer is no, or it's going to, come to be going to become a burden, mm-hmm. I don't know if I want to do it. And I'm not looking at the financial side of it, but yeah. like, you know, do would I enjoy it or would it become just this grind? So I'm being very cautious and careful the last probably six months of planning that from my business to other businesses to um, how I spend my time and if I did some kind of channel or something, I don't know if it would be focused on what I do. Unless yeah. I can truly impart to s- enough stuff to actually help some people, but it feel like it'd be just feel like work and a little bit. The best way I could passion. put it is that I no longer look for things that I have to drive, but I'm trying to find things that drive me. Mm-hmm. Like, like doing this podcast. Yes. I, it, do, it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Okay. And maybe That's it's great. just because I'm under a hundred episodes, but at this point, like I am refining who I am as a human every time I sit down and have great. a heart to heart with someone. Yeah. And so I'm trying to attribute that kind of philosophy to everything that I'm doing now. Yep. I can relate to that. And it way. really, yeah. you really start to shed some fat. Right. Yeah. You and know, it's like, I don't want to, show someone how to edit something in Premiere. Like it's just not, yeah. you know, I could, there's maybe something there and co- I don't know yet, I, but I've thought about some sort of way to um, have a little bit more of a presence or something I enjoy sure. or whatever, but we're even careful about putting our kids on social, like you won't yeah, see no, their faces I think that on mine. And so totally that's where like, sense. I'd like some separation there. So I haven't figured that out yet, but yeah, I have a personal Instagram and I, uh, I think it's deco underscore Inc. Uh, is on is my Instagram, and uh, <laughs> I think yeah, it's not a dash. You can't have dashes on Instagram, right? I think it's an underscore. It's an underscore. Yes, D E K K O, which is like uh, British slang for to uh, look at something basically, or to gaze to direct someone's eyes towards something. There That's it is. It. That's it. All right, That's Matthew Murphy, Deco. the hardest working man that nobody knows about. <laughs> It has been awesome. I'm glad that we finally got to do this. Yes, yes. It almost happened a couple of times. It feels like it's been nonstop, but we're we're broaching three hours. No way. Yeah. Oh, that's long. So I can't All wait right, for the yeah. next time. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to gain from what you have to say. And, I'll uh, become more polished. Oh, no, dude. You're already a gem. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. All right. Safe Peace. travels. All right. Peace. You made it. It was a lengthy one, right? But uh, Matt's got a, a nice efficiency of words. He doesn't lollygag around. You know, he, he gets to the point of what he wants to talk about and brings you there with him. And I think he's really got some interesting points on a lot of things as well. He's doing a great job with his business. Very successful. Uh, 
very interesting working with Tony Robbins, who is one of the more analyzed figures in productivity and positivity and, and motivation. Um, and he does have something interesting about him, right? You know, it's like there's kind of like Tony Robbins and then there's everybody else in that whole motivational speaker realm, I think. In addition to that, he's just got so much experience for somebody his age. Man, I sound old. I'm not even that much older than him. I am another year older, though. So there's that. No, but he just, uh, he's done so much and he's traveled so extensively all over the world. I mean, Africa, South America, you name it. The dude's been there. So he's always going. I always love to check in with him and see what he's up to. He isn't on social media that much. So you really just have to like check in with him and I like having people like that to where I don't always know what they're up to. And I always get a good story every time I do check in with them. Hopefully, this has been a good story for you to listen to. There's more to come. Got more in the uh, old podcast bank, ready to get finished up and shipped out. And then I have um, more interviews set up. So I'm really pumped about some of these. Some of these are really interesting coming up. Uh, hopefully along the lines of the one that you just listened to. So thanks for listening. This is Kevin Kelly. This is the Anti-Podcast. I hope you dig it. Peace. Peace.